Hey, I'm Nate Flax. I'm Noah Longworth-McGuire. And this is Talking Lion. Talking Lion is a podcast focused on artist-to-artist conversation. We're primarily artists, a duo called Sleeping Lion, but we've been lucky enough to write, produce, and hang out with so many incredible rising artists since we started our project. Whether it's at sessions or parties or over cups of coffee, we've talked with our creative friends about everything. Music, life, love, and all the subtle complexities that come with being in the middle of a journey. Talking Lion is about hitting record in these conversations and sharing them with you. There's no real structure, nothing really prepared, just friends talking about life and what it's been like and where it's going. This is the start of Talking Lion's second season, and we recently launched a Patreon for fans of our show to help keep this going. Subscribers will become a part of the show in various ways, from providing questions to our guests, to getting a shout out on the show, to actually being on the show to chat with us. We'll even send you a mug. We pledge to contribute at least half of whatever we raise on Patreon towards the podcast's expenses, as well as supporting artist communities through arts, charities, grants, and by sponsoring local music events. So check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash talking lion. We know there's a scary uncertainty in the country and the world right now. We urge everyone who's listening to stay inside and do your part to prevent the spread of coronavirus. It's going to be a strange and difficult year for everyone, but we hope you can find pockets of peace and that our podcast can help make this time indoors better for you, even just for a few hours. We recorded this episode with our friend Sad Alex. I first met Sad Alex while at the movies with some mutual friends of hers a few days before recording this episode. Some context for this interview. We recorded this in the fall of 2019, a few weeks before her single All the Way Over came out. She had recently signed to Red Bull Records. Also, immediately after recording this episode, Sad Alex showed us a demo of one of her upcoming songs called Stockholm's a Ghost Town, and we wound up doing some co-production on the song. Sad Alex is a tenaciously hard worker and an incredible songwriter with songs that ring and resonate with a candid honesty. So, without further ado, I'm Sad Alex, and you're listening to Talkin' Line. Hello. Hi. <laughs> the we've, drop. we've only been talking for like the last, you know, hour or so. Yeah, like, no, we've really, we've warmed up. We've warmed yeah. up. That's how, how it goes. Because we're we, loose. We're all <laughs> sort of technically meeting today, though we technically met like four days ago. I know. It was wild. What a universe, what a universe serendipitous moment. I think it's important for everybody to know that our first impression was that uh, you dropped a beer on my whoa, friend's whoa, shoe whoa. at a movie theater. Let me. <laughs> all right. Is that is that your angle? That's what you uh, think no, no, happened? no. You, you, you <laughs> dropped the beer or you slapped it out of her hand or something. Whoa. And whoa. then, or she slapped <laughs> it out of yours. All right. All right. Hold on. Hold on. This is my my perspective on it. Wow. This is such a Okay. Sorry. Are we, star- yeah, are we starting controversially? I'm sorry. You, no. Yeah, please uh, tell me. The, how the beer falls. Sure. Yeah. I grab a napkin we're both cleaning up the floor like we're both on the floor cleaning up the beer I'm like are you said Alex and you're yeah. like I'm like I'm sleeping line we're gonna see each other in three days it was it was a beautiful moment cleaning up shitty beer together however I will tell you <laughs> that is absolutely not how that moment went down oh my god there's we, already, we're already getting hoodwinked we're I was story. standing with my friend Nico with our beers and I saw this the blonde chick that I recognized and I couldn't remember exactly how I knew her and we both were looking at each other like how do we know each other and then she kind of did that like, oh, throwing her hands up. Like, I know you from this. And when she threw her hands up, she knocked my beer out of my oh. hand. And then it went on the ground. But then she was, and it was so funny because it happened right in front of like the place where you buy the beers. And so she was like, hey guys, like you just saw me. I just knocked over a full beer. Like, would you mind replacing it? It was a fucking Stella. Do you understand that a Stella probably cost that place like maybe fucking two dollars wholesale and that's probably an overestimate on that like probably less than that probably like a dollar and they were so they were like we could give you a cup 
And we were like, <laughs> we're like, and we'll get Whoa. it from the floor. Yeah. <laughs> and we were literally wiping up beer on the floor. And she was like, that's fine. I'm just going to buy her a new beer. And I was like, yo, I feel bad. You don't have to buy me a beer. She's like, no, I'm going to buy you a beer. I just knocked it over. And that is what fucking happened. You know, <laughs> what, what's funny is I saw Eden like, like, uh, oh, this was Eden. This was Eden. Yeah. Okay. So I, I saw Eden like lock eyes with you. I was like, 70% sure it was you, but we had never met like in person. So mm-hmm. I, I pulled out my phone Ooh. to check your Instagram. Love that cross-reference. Just trying to make like, m- you know, check the check the sources, you know, make sure that the face matches Dude, the I face. Dude, I do that all the time. So I guess I missed the actual interaction because then I just heard the beer on the floor. Oh, so you missed I, it. So you made this really fucking false, aggressive story of me as a crazy bitch knocking, slapping <laughs> beers out of people's hands. You, you know, you know. <laughs> I, I may or may not have jumped to conclusions. You but really did. That's why wow. I'm not a cop. And that's how you <laughs> should not be a cop. That's how you subconsciously see me. I'm sorry. I, listen, I, I always want, I think I always want to meet people because they have some sort of clumsy faux pas. Like, I think that that's a really good way of just sort of breaking the ice with anybody. I'm actually pretty clumsy. I was bartending once. Well, it's weird. I'm, I'm very, I'm actually a good bartender and I am very good with high volume. I can open like 12 beers at once and all that stuff. I can make a bunch of drinks in a row, but sometimes, especially this particular shift, I was drinking, which does impact your cleanliness and your ability to not be clumsy. You don't say. Yeah. It's wild. It affects your motor skills. It's a crazy thing. I was making a drink and this girl was sitting here. Luckily she was a a regular. She works down the street and I had a full, (laughs) had a full tin of margarita. And when I went to I went to, I had the tin of margarita. I went to um, pour another drink, which was like a vodka soda or something. And when I lifted the bottle, it knocked the tin and it went right in her face. Like the whole margarita, (laughs) tequila, everything in her eyes, straight to the eyeball. And she immediately covers her eyes. She runs to the bathroom. I follow her because I was like, holy shit, I just fucked this girl's shit up. And I go in there, we're rinsing her eye in the sink. And luckily, had it been a normal person, that's a pretty heavy Yelp review. Yeah. But she is a, a regular. And I was like, yo, I'm so sorry. Oh my I got God. the rest of your drinks tonight. Like, you don't pay for anything. It's fine. And she was like, she was obviously a little bit like flustered, but she was like, dude, it's fine. Like, it happened. She's a bartender too. Shit fucking happens. It's a nightmare. But yeah, I, I'm a clumsy bitch sometimes. So I, I wasn't completely off the money. No, you weren't. Well, I mean, so I, maybe my reaction actually to that being so, yeah, so me being so defensive maybe, is actually maybe. me knowing that my truth is that. Yeah, maybe, yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe you were just projecting your, you know, your fears, you know, on, onto my assumptions. That's so real though, because I think anytime you react to something with anger or defense or whatever, it's usually rooted in like, you need to figure out why did that upset me like that? It's probably rooted in something that I yeah. am not fully worked through in my own shit. Oh, yeah. Yep. yeah. I've been going through this across the board. Like I've been trying to figure out like there are certain writers that I love that I've worked with, but for whatever reason, they make me feel sometimes in the recession, I feel small or I feel uncomfortable or there's a weird energy in the room. And I know it has nothing to do with them, but it has to do with my reaction to them. And yeah. I, so I've actually kind of not forever, but like I've sort of distanced myself from a couple people just to figure out, I'm like, okay, why? I love writing with them and I love the stuff that we make together, but I have to figure out why sometimes the process feels a little bit, and gives me anxiety. Yeah. I think you the know? last couple of months I've been really like face to face, like brushing with and, and pushing up against uh, my like insecurities that I yeah. didn't even know I necessarily had. Like between like friendships, my family, like relationships, like every everything, there's been something like that, accidentally and specifically just like 
gets underneath all the armor and just like pokes like the pressure point. And I react so strongly and so viscerally. And and then like when the dust settles, I'm like, why did I do no, that? How old yeah. are you? 23. Oh my God, you're a baby. You're a baby. Person. Oh no, oh no. Oh no, no, you're a good, but you're actually like, yeah, I no, you're much older. I've never, like it wasn't until I just started seeing a sort of pattern of insecurity that I became just so aware of how 23 I am because I feel like I've always tried to, yeah. I've always had to act older. Wow, but, you guys are about to grow so much. Yeah, no, I, I'm aware of that. I just kind of hate it. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I think that like, it, it never really occurred to me how grotesque and messy this growing up thing is going to be until yes. like the last couple of months where I've just yeah. like, like without even meaning to genuinely hurt people by how like my insecurities are being Dude, sort well, of the like fact that you are aware of this at 23, fucking props, especially a 23 year old male. Holy shit. Sure, but being You're aware ahead of some 30 year olds that I know. Being aware doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that it goes away, which I wish it did. No, but that's How the first cool step. would that be? That's the first yeah. step, though, dude. I'm still in very much of like, I am trying to be so aware of like when I say something that, like, I'm trying to think of how to explain this. In the same sense that I was saying, I just, try, I, my goal in life, in my, whether it's, in my music, professionally, with my friendships, with my relationships, I just want to be real all the time. It's such a simple concept, but I catch myself breaking it. Like even the other night, I caught myself, because we all do this. I was at a party actually with Nico and we're at a party and we're just having fun. It was a Halloween thing. And I was talking to this girl who's a friend of mine. And then um, realistically, I can't remember why it was just me. And then I went back over to um, Nico and we, he was like, asked who that was, whatever. And I was like, oh, that's my friend. She's an A&R at Capital. And when I said that, it's such a little thing. But then he called me out for it. He was like, I don't care. That doesn't yeah. make me want to talk to her yeah. anymore. And I was just like, in my head, I was like, wow, I hated that I just did that. Like, I hated that. I hate that side of anybody. Because I hate it when it's done to me. And so when I catch myself doing something like that, which I didn't intend to be a weird flex to Nico, but like it was said and I completely understood how it felt from his perspective because I didn't introduce them. I was over there talking to her and then I came over to them. So I'm really trying to work on that. And that goes across the board for like everything, whether it has to do with music or not. But like, I just want to be real, you know? Well, and that's yeah. like a friend of mine picked me up from the airport, like a really good friend of mine who, who I've known for a while. And right. um, we were driving and she was just playing like her iPod and like every like other, her iPod. Her yeah, iPod? Her it, was iPod. It, was it was 2005. It was 2005. You have your iPod uh, shuffle. She was Going shuffling, through the she click was through her iPod. You're saying yeah. a toxic by Dude, I miss, I miss my iPod. No, I did, I did too. Do you it remember was, that little thing that you had to put on to like, connect to the FM like radio? Did you have that attachment? Yes. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. I forget what it was called. It was like a cassette tape that you had to slide. Oh, oh no, yeah. this one was like a, a wireless one. You would put it on through the aux cord. Oh, and then you had to set the... You had to set the fucking oh, FM. It was oh, terrible. It, was, it so compromised. Terrible. Like You could hear like it was like... Oh, it was... Like, oh, my Nothing God. It was, it was so heartbreaking. Bad. But also when you found like a really quiet station, it was like a commodity. You, everyone would just sit still and you're like holding it. You're like... No, I, I found I found like <laughs> forums. I found forums like uh, like clean channels in California. Clean channels in California. <laughs> like, we're talking, wow. tw we're talking like 2018 or like 2017. Like, wow. You know? And anyway, yeah, we, were, back to your we were driving with the and iPod. every other song that she would play, I would have some sort of kind of like connection to it. I'd be like, oh yeah, that's like, my, oh, my friend manages that band or like, oh, my friend wrote like a song for them or like whatever. And like at a certain point, she was just like, she got very kind of quiet and she's like, I'm very impressed with like what you're doing in Los Angeles. Like I'm already impressed. Like you don't have to, you don't have to like do all that. Yes. I'm like. And it happens. Yeah, I just because yeah. I, I I feel like I constantly have to like prove my worth 
you know, and prove yeah. that like I'm not like that that I'm not just like a schmuck who's wasting everybody's time. But sometimes I like overcompensate for that so strongly. You know? Yeah, I mean, I even did it like at the at the movies when because I really I did have we were talking about that movie um, Lady Bird. Yeah, and I was talking to the girl and I was like. Oh, I have a friend in Ladybird, which I do. But then at that moment, I forgot her name because I have like a very, I have like a problem with names. Mm. Like it takes me <laughs> yeah. like yeah. 10 times. So I was like, I have a friend in Ladybird. I can't remember her name. She's a friend of a friend. And the more I talked, I was like, damn, I sound like I'm fucking spiraling. Right I, now. I was, I was gonna, I, I, I didn't know you well enough to just like take the piss out of me. Like, oh, good friend. Yeah. Right. No. <laughs> and the thing is, her name is Mari. And it hit me. I was walking. I was like, God damn, I really blanked on her name. And I don't know why. Cause I've actually, I went to fucking. Mexico with that girl for like a you know a yeah. whole weekend and like we walked on the beach together like this whole thing like we were friends but my brain is very sabotaging in moments like that I'd like you know that name you need I'm gonna take it away I'm from you take it right away now from <laughs> I, I forgot my zip code last night at school night oh my god he was just like he was just like uh you from Massachusetts I'm like I studied there he's just like what's the zip code and I'm like oh Fuck, oh two zero one. I was like, I was like one number off, and you're just like this, like stern, like Ukrainian oh, man, the, like yeah, staring yeah, at me. Like, he's so angry. He's the only person I've ever seen in Los Angeles who will quiz you on he's, like yeah, where he's, you he's were. He's like customs. He's just like, wait, like what? What does your? No, he was like, what does your? I've had easier time in customs. Yeah, I've had I've <laughs> had way easier time than customs. This guy's just like, what's like, what's your family? What does your family do for? Like, he, like not really, but he's just like. <laughs> he's like, you guys think you have trouble in customs? I'm Arabic, man. Oh shit, so that shit gets real lit. Oh, that okay. Yeah, yeah that'll definitely that. where where uh, Palestinian. Oh shit, mm-hmm. and I'll do it. I'll and that's actually, it. I think that's if we want to like regards to my artist stuff. Like the funny thing is, and I don't know if you guys know this because Sad Alex, my last name is Sad, which is why the Sad Alex thing was like the uh-huh. whole motion, and everyone just thinks I arbitrarily chose Sad Alex to ride this emo wave, hmm. which you know maybe that helps, but like genuinely, this is more of a trying to be more you know, encompassing thing with my heritage and the reality of the stuff that I write and my sarcasm and all of these things that I want the word sad to encompass. Huh. Yeah. And actually one of the ideas that my, my friend Justin, who's doing a lot of the content and kind of marketing idea stuff, it's like reclaiming the word sad. Yeah. Like, you know, like making it, because there's a lot of meanings to the word sad. And for me, like it, for me, it definitely means a lot of things. Sad is actually the very improper pronunciation of my last name, but for my whole life, everyone's pronounced it that way. The amount, like anytime, if I'm a doctor's office, if I'm, you know, getting called to go in wherever, it's always Miss Sad, Miss Sad. Even if I'm like, they're like, what's the name? I'm like, Alex Sad. They're like, okay, Miss Sad, right this way. I'm like, <laughs> okay. Does that, does that kind of weigh on you, just being <clears throat> referred to as sad all the time? Is that- um, honestly, now, I, I mean, I'm cool with it because it's it works. And I was thinking about when I was rebranding, I was like, do I go S-A-A-D for the like the name, the artist name, but I decided one of the flaws, one of the many flaws in the old artist project was, it was called Alexa, but it was spelled A-L-X-X-A. So if I played a show, I'd be like, hey, thanks so much. My name's Alexa, but that's A-L-X-X-A, no E. And, you know, fucking, it's really hard to find. I might have to help you find it on Instagram because it never comes up. And so like, I wanted to avoid that. I was like, now I just want to be like, thank you. My name's Sad Alex. Good night. Good night. And like, then they can look at it and it's there and it's exactly how they would imagine spelling it. 
Well, and that's like when we were in Boston, we had friends starting projects and they'd be like, yeah, it's like this, but we took out this vowel and that vowel, whatever. I'm just like, I'm just like, if you have to explain that on stage, like it's, it's all so going hard. to fuck. Yeah, yeah. Like it's not going to. I mean, granted, there's so many uh, exceptions to that rule. Like, of course. I mean, I mean of course. Who was like the, I feel like, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. There's artists like that and they, they've made it work. Well, I don't of course, know. I mean, we've had friend on the show, it's, which is F-R-N-D. You yeah. Know? And like, you know, Moons is like the two Z's and so I mean, there right. are ways to do it, but also these are artists who like, you know, established themselves in other places or like yeah. had that had their careers in a visual landscape before they had it necessarily in like a live landscape. Right. Like for our friends who wanted to like just play shows to try to get an audience, it's a lot harder. You know, I think, I think there are people who do commit to like, okay, like here's what it's going to be. Here's how we put it out online. That's whatever. And then they focus on that. Yeah. I guess we started like thinking like that was going to be, but we knew that we were going to be playing live and that that would be how we would be getting people. When's the and last so, time you guys played live or what's your, about a month ago. What is your live setup? Well, so the last one we played was probably... Yeah, it was probably the Peppermint Show. The Peppermint Show. Yeah. yeah. Peppermint Club? Yeah. Cool. We, we opened for our friend Salem. Salem. Our live setup is that I play an SPD, a, like a sub-bass with my other hand okay. on a keyboard. And, so um, savvy. And I sing. And then he plays piano and I guitar my big, and sings. My big piano. But I think we're going to try to revamp it a little bit um, starting next year. I'm in a very much revamp stage of my yeah. band as well. Well, and that's I, what I want is like... Because we definitely have songs that lean into ballad territory. I would love to be able to like have a set that's dynamic where you can have like the quiet stuff and then sort of move into, you know, I mean, like you got Ruin It, like going into like New Heartbreak or something like that. Right. You know, like having that be a way to sort of structure your set so that you're not compromising. I want a set that like at its best feels like like a John Bellion show and at its like quietest, like feels like Bon Iver. Yeah. Well, I think... So that's that's the goal for me as well. It's for pretty much, I mean, arguably the goal for everybody. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And right now, the reality being the quickest and dirtiest and most, the easiest way to start running your tracks is to just have the individual kind of whatever worked out instrumentals that are giving you the shit that you press play and you play along to it. And yeah, it's entirely a lot of times uninspiring to play with the track. And I've, I've been battling that for a long time because I really, it's, hard to do it in a way that you feel like you're doing something really innovative when you feel like you're doing this kind of souped up karaoke yeah. thing. That being said, so right now <laughs> I had a band that was great, especially in like the way that we were working. It was individual tracks. So we had to queue up each individual one, which I want to break out of that format. But in the sense of what we were doing, it actually was starting to run pretty well. Uh, one thing I don't recommend, don't date your band because then when things don't work out, then the band also disbands. The band disbands. The band disbands. The band disbands. The band disbands. <laughs> for uh, also, don't date someone that his brother is playing drums because then literally the entire band disbands. Oh yeah. Because obviously, bros before hoes. Yeah, literal bros. Literal bro before the band dis disbands Just despite disbands. your plans. <laughs> I know. Oh man. Of finding a man. Yes, it wasn't part of the plan, and it wasn't grand. <laughs> Just buried in the sand. <laughs> But it was very, that was actually really sad. Is that songwriting? Do we just yeah, songwrite we, it? Let's, let's finish that after this. Yeah. We'll put it to something. Um, called Buried in the Sand. It's called Buried in the Sand. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, an ostrich is in the music video. It's just an ostrich just like <laughs> yeah, walking the, around. The arts is an ostrich yeah, with his yeah. head in the ground. I like yeah. that actually. That's, that's <laughs> nice. be a little ostrich band, but then the B story is that like the ostrich like dates with the other ostrich. And yeah. then, um, that's meta. Yeah, and then. So meta. Yeah. I love that though. Yeah. We're. We're going to develop this. I think we're going to develop this. I like that. For There's a lot of animation stuff we could do with that. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. And I won't go too into relationship stuff. It was it was a very, it was actually a very nice relationship. He's a very nice person. But it, you know, 
And I was told when I went into it, people were like, do not date your guitarist. And I was like, but I want to. And then he plays guitar. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's really nice parts of it. I mean, to be like uh, that song, Disarm Me, that's on the mm-hmm. one of the, the demo things, which is a project that we're still planning on continuing this year, which is just kind of another way for me, that demo thing of just kind of shitting out a few demos. I've gotten a lot of shit for that, doing that, because you're basically putting out songs without any PR or marketing or plan behind it. And people are just like, wow, you're literally just like sacrificing these songs to the gods. I'm like, well, I'd rather sacrifice the songs to the gods than have them die on my computer because well, that's what's happening to them. And yeah. and I think for me, like one of the songs that first sort of like got me like like into your your music was like ruin it oh, I'm glad because of how one. it how it moves and sort of meanders and stuff. We have like we've been toying around with putting out um, a record of all the stuff that we weren't able to finish over the course of like it feels really like, good like that we started three years ago that meant a lot to us then, but that we wouldn't want to necessarily devote the time to like finishing and making what it is because it wouldn't make sense exactly yeah. you know. But we still would want people to hear it because they could have a connection to that because yeah. those songs that I put out I don't want to try to produce them out they arguably shouldn't be produced out yeah. and they are not pitchable they're not top 40 necessarily I mean that that's I don't like using that word because you don't who really knows what top 40 is but I mean, like yeah, yeah. Now, now it's, it's you know it's fucking Lewis Capaldi and yeah, yeah it's a shit show but like <laughs> I put them out because I know the way I've been working however the last six years professionally like I keep on, I'm always going to be in love with my new stuff and these songs have their moment right now and I connect to them and they mean something real to me now. They're not going to be as real for me three years from now and I want to put them out, but I recognize that they're not the most digestible quote unquote single in the world. And so if I can just start developing this project that might down the line, if I continue doing it and people fuck with it, like you, you connected with a song from it and if people start to know, oh, she has this weird, she just like randomly without warning puts out a few demos that might actually help the songs take off eventually. You just yeah. kind of have to stay consistent with it. Well, and the fact that it's called Songs You'll Probably Never Hear. Right. And then, yeah. like, the the cover art is the the desktop icon. Yeah. Like, that, I mean, tripping. that's, yeah, that's that cool. says that says everything you kind of need to know, you know, about what it, what it is. That song, Disarm Me, was actually written, um, I was over at his place, and he was playing a guitar thing that I liked. And I said, oh, I really like that. Will you record it for me? And we sat on his bed with his iPhone. You can hear us laughing in the background. You can hear all of that in the original recording of it. (laughs) I literally just took the iPhone MP4 and put it into Logic. I did like one little, there's no click. There was no like well, anything. If you don't sample your ex, what are you doing? Well, all right. Like <laughs> <laughs> everyone needs, I mean, Lido does it too. Like everyone, yeah. we got to sample our exes people. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that song was really beautiful. And I actually wrote it about, I mean, it was about our relationship and that it's, that song is obviously very personal because of that. Um, yeah. And I, it was kind of awkward when we were planning to put that out and we were having to make sure all the publishing was set up. And I was like, all right, Rob, you can reach out to him because he blocked me. So like, <laughs> you might, you're going to have to handle this communication. But I mean, it's all, I think we will eventually get to a good place. Relation, like, I think we have a very much a mutual respect for each other. He just needed to take his time yeah. on his own. So where, where were you born? I was born in San Antonio, Texas, Ooh. which is cool. I actually fuck with San Antonio. I climbed a lot of trees there. Nice. Between the ages of zero and 10. We had this really dope tree. Did you break your arm? Um, no, I've actually never, besides I think I've broken some toes from point shoe stuff, but toes don't count. I mean, toes are, that's, 
fucking you that know, was your cheek. child's play back up like did you, did you ballet i was a pretty serious ballerina oh yeah. okay i used to be pretty not like i was president of my dance company in college I like did it for, I, I danced from age like three till probably age 22, 23. Whoa. And then I, um, I've dealt with knee problems from like starting mm. at like 12. I was dislocating my knee all the time. And then I ended up blowing it out really badly in Nashville on a run. Oh my God. It was so yeah. bad. I, I literally just got the heebie-jeebies thing about it. And, um, I had to get a surgery or they told me I had to get a surgery, which I think I arguably did need to get it. It was a weird thing because I don't know if you've ever like, we, dislocated your knee We've before. never been no. physically active in our <laughs> life, yeah. We've never moved. We've never moved. We, we are on this couch all the time. When you dislocate your knee, your knee, your knee basically like pops out of its socket, obviously, and then most of the time it pops back in. Sometimes I had one dislocation where it didn't pop back in and someone had to pop it back in for mm-hmm. me, which is not pleasant. I don't recommend that. But um, the more you dislocate your knee, the easier it can happen because your ligaments are loosening up mm. every time, stretching. And you also, you bounce back quicker. Like you can dislocate your knee and be pretty much good to go two weeks later. But you have increased your susceptibility to do it again, which is part of the problem. And so at that last big blowout, I remember I actually you know bounced back and I started working out really hard. My goal was to get my lower body as strong as I could to try to help preserve my knee. And actually I was doing really well. I was working with this personal trainer. I was fucking fit. I looked dope. And then I went back home to Delaware and I was meeting with this surgeon and he was, he's actually, he's a very good surgeon in Delaware. And he was like, he saw how well I was doing. He was like, Hey, like, I mean, I don't want to make you do a surgery if you're doing this well, let me get an MRI and see what's going on. And he got an MRI and I remember he came to the room and he was like, I don't want to, you know, convince you to do anything you don't want to do, but I'll be honest, this is probably like the worst MRI I've ever seen. Oh my God. He was like, I, you don't have any, you don't even have any ligaments really like intact properly left in your They're leg just, just floating out, uh, just floating around like because your groove for your knee is probably like this and your kneecap looks like this and it they sits can't there see firmly. any of this oh i know <laughs> <laughs> let me explain if you're i can't explain this basically okay this is for you guys fuck the listeners here you know so you that's, for, a, that's for you listeners <laughs> fuck, fuck you God. no i love you um but you have like a proper groove that your kneecap sits in and your kneecap is a normal size my groove doesn't really exist. It's more like a flat surface and my kneecap is like smaller and deformed than yours. And so it just slides around and it has no basis to stay in place. Also, your legs are probably straight. My legs are a little bit crooked this way. So it makes that force on the kneecap actually makes it want to go that way even more. So one surgeon actually wanted to take off the bottom. That sounds objectively not fun. No, No, it was not (laughs) It was not fun. There was one surgeon who was fucking psycho. He wanted to basically disconnect this part of my leg, the bottom half, move it over straight, reconnect it. I wouldn't have been able to put weight on my leg for a year. The one in Delaware was not psycho. And he did convince me I got a surgery. But the day before the surgery, I was doing this like heavy leg day at the gym. Like I was trying to make sure I could bounce back from the surgery as quickly as I as possible. Surgery went seemingly well. He basically, he basically took a cadaver... Um, ligament to put on my MC like MCL reconstruction and kind of make it all Wait, what uh, MCL is the inside no, could, ligament they, I'm, of, I'm getting hung up on the cadaver part took it from cadaver a dead is from a, it's actually I think it was a dead pig oh, no okay. no no it wasn't a pig I had a human one I got a dead person's ligament in my leg dead guy they weren't using it I think it. he was a good guy I think he was really <laughs> powerful you think he ran a lot I think he was very <laughs> fit yeah fit dead dude so I got this thing well granted It didn't work that well for me. The ligament actually is doing fine, but what happened was the screw that he put in my kneecap, because it was smaller than most kneecaps, 
eventually there's a lot of this is becoming such a longer story that I, I meant it to be which is the story of my life but I when I was cleared to do whatever I wanted I actually had a pretty poor like at the time my relationship with working out and my body and eating and stuff wasn't very healthy to begin with so that was the root of the problem I, I blame myself for that because the second I was cleared to work out again I went in way harder than any recovering knee surgery person should I was working mm -hmm. out like twice a day CrossFit style workouts a lot heavier Fuck. weights like lots of yeah. you know jump squats and all these things like doing stuff that he probably cleared me to like start working out like a normal person and yeah. I started working out like a fucking Olympian I was riding my bike everywhere and I, I just had a very poor, you know, I just had a bad relationship with all of that. And one day I was doing a box jump and something happened. And long story short, I had cracked my kneecap in half because oh. the screw Fuck. had not healed very well Ooh. and it had weakened the kneecap and it kind of cracked like a walnut, Whoa. <laughs> which was it. So it was holding on by like a thread. And I called the surgeon. You, you actually, you brought a walnut to demonstrate. I, there's a walnut. There's a walnut in. She just pulled a walnut out from I her. just know the conversation always goes to the yeah, cracked yeah, yeah. walnut. I always have to be prepared. But um, it was actually like the best thing that ever happened to me, ultimately, because at the time I was... You were 22? I was 24 when that happened, I believe. I think. 24 when I broke it. Or yes, I, I'm 90% sure I was 24. But at the time, I was bartending at this place in Nashville way more than you can properly focus on your creative endeavors. I was kind of addicted to bartending because it was a lot of money. I was making probably like 80 grand a year bartending at this place in Nashville. Holy shit. And like golden, golden handcuffs. handcuffs, that's what they call it. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really, and you're working like you're an indentured servant. Like yeah. you're working from on CM, during CMA Fest, I'd be there from like 9 a.m. till 2 a.m. No break. Like it's the most absurd thing. So when I broke my leg, I couldn't bartend as much. I couldn't go out. I was drinking so I was constantly drinking alcohol. Like I was had fireball in my system like at all times. And so when I broke my leg, granted I did still drink a lot of wine when I broke my <laughs> leg. But I really had to it was like a major check for me cuz I was locked in my apartment. It was a dark time. I won't say that it was a very happy time, but it was of the first stage of my emotional growth in that I was like, okay, my lifestyle has not been conducive. I don't like my music. I don't like what I've been writing. I'm not good at what I do right now. Why is that? And then I really had to figure out, start figuring out the answer to that. Started producing my own stuff, started writing in a more intentional way and taking it a little bit more. I was taking it seriously, but in re retrospect, I really wasn't, you know? And then once I was healed enough, and I, that's a whole separate story that I won't go into how I healed myself, but once I was cleared, because it was... Short version? Short version. They thought I was going to have to get this psycho leg surgery. I would have had a 12-inch incision down my leg. And oh. they were going to fill my kneecap with bone splooge from my hip and wrap it in wire. It was the scariest... <laughs> wow. Was that the technical term? Bone, bone splooge. <laughs> That's <laughs> what the medical journals yeah, yeah, call yeah, it. Yeah. Bone splooge. Yeah, you, you look at it, it's like, yeah, bonges. Bonges. <laughs> and I would so I would have had incisions here, I would have had there. And now they're telling me that surgery wouldn't have even worked. So I actually did, shout out HGH. I got some illegal HGH, shot that shit up. 12 HG, weeks, human growth hormone, man. Yeah. Whoa. Cell regeneration. It's whoa, the future. Whoa. Mm -hmm. um, so you so like Wolverine that shit. I Wolverined. I did. Um, that was a, that was a also questionably dark time. I bought it from outside a tattoo shop and... I hope my dad listens to this. <laughs> I bought this from out. It was a friend of mine. He was you competed in the Olympics very briefly, and then yeah. Well, my friend who's a bodybuilder who worked at the because I still was bartending a little bit because you were allowed to put weight on my leg. I was bartending in a brace from my hip to my mm. ankle, 
and couldn't bend my leg at all. So I was basically like a peg leg just limping around the bar. And my friend, he was a bodybuilder and he was like, hey, you know, I hate to see you. Cause I was crying constantly. I would like be in the liquor closet crying. Cause I was looking at this knee surgery was gonna be brutal. I would I would have been off my leg probably for six months until I could have put weight on it. It would have been a whole thing. And and also it was just the incision. I've seen those knees. Have you ever seen that that scar on a knee when no. it's down the middle and it's this big long? Your knee never looks the same. And as as shallow as it sounds, I knew I was like I I like my legs right now. I don't <laughs> want this bulby fucking scarred up knee like that. Like I can handle the little scars that I have, but this would have been a whole thing. Whole thing, yeah. And um, he was like, I hate seeing you like this. I have something, I, I have a way for you to get something that might help, but I want you to do your own research and see if it's something you're interested in. And he kind of showed me what growth hormone was. It It's usually used by, I mean, most celebrities, the reason Brad Pitt looks like he's fucking 40, more than likely the guy's on growth hormone, along with all of these like celebrities that look like they're fucking beautiful fountain of youth kind of shit. Growth hormones, the, for the future. Wow. And I mean, it's not illegal and like you can get it in Canada, you can get it in Asian countries, whatever. But um, here it's very, it's a highly controlled substance here, almost at the point of heroin, which is crazy. Wow. Yes. But I got that shit from outside a tattoo shop. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember that day so vividly because you basically get it in these little vials and you have to mix it with backstat water, like bacteriostatic water, whatever. And you, it's very precise and you mix it and you kind of mix it up in this thing. And that lasts 10 days. You keep it in the fridge and you have to get the little, uh, whatever, 30 millimeter, like, um, diabetes needles, basically. Mm. And you do between two. And you fuck it up. Do you become the Hulk? Uh, no, but you can have too much cell regeneration is bad. And to do it all the time, you want to use basically like six week kits of it. And you do like five days on, two days off. And it's a very particular, like. I think I was doing two IUs a day, five days on, two, two days off. Uh, that was like the measurement of whatever I was using. And if you go overboard, like the bodybuilders that are doing six IUs a day and never take any breaks, then like, yeah, like that's when you see like their forehead bone like grew too much or like whatever Whoa. it was. Like that shit can happen or your joints become, your bones are too big for your joints and you can give yourself fucking weird bone diseases. Whoa. But if you're smart about it, and it's not that hard to be smart about it. It was very scary though that day when I, because basically you you put it into your fat cells. So mm. you like you can do your ass, you can do your leg. I chose to do my stomach. You squeeze the fat on your stomach. You stick the needle in and you press it in and then you kind of spread the, the, mixture the mixture into your body. Mm. And the first day I did it, I remember I texted one of my friends. I was like, I'm really scared. I have no idea realistically what this is. This could be rat poison. I don't know what the fuck. I got this from China. I don't know what I'm putting <laughs> in my body. And it was the dark time because he was like, suck it up and do it. And I was like, okay. And I did it and I put it in and I sat there. I did not tell, like, if I told my dad that I did that, he's a doctor and he would have fucking lost his mind. And I just sat there for 20 minutes waiting. I'm like, okay, if this was rat poison, I probably would be, something bad would be happening by now. And I kind of just sat there. I was kind of ready. I think I had someone that I could call if I was like, I need to go to the hospital, <laughs> like whatever. And it was fine. And that shit, oh my God, dude, that shit's a miracle. You burn fat, your skin clears up, you're hungry all the time, you're horny all the time, you sleep better, you recover better, you have energy. You're, you, I had a fucking like, um, the closest to a six pack I've ever had in my life. I felt incredible. And then when I, if, I mean, I'll show you maybe after this, like the difference in the, the knee x-rays, it did exactly. Granted, I can't assume causation with this kind of stuff. Like it's all just correlation really, which is fine. But like for me, I also, at that point when I was on that, I didn't drink at all. I 
my diet was like fucking flawless. I was doing all the vitamin supplements I needed to do. And that shit grew my bone cells back, man. And they canceled the surgery. I went to see the doctor a week before I was supposed to get that surgery. He looked at the x-ray and he canceled it and I was crying. I had fucking, he, I was sobbing, crying. It was, it was insane. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you just look at my face. Like, I this, is the most, <laughs> this is easily like, this is one of the most fascinating things I've heard on the podcast. That definitely felt like a superhero origin Holy story. Shit. It was wild. I'll show you the pictures of the x-rays. It's pretty compelling. I mean, it's, I can't assume, I mean, there was probably several reasons for why it happened, but even I've showed my dad, I've showed the, what I've learned a lot about the medical community. And I was planning, I was technically sort of quote unquote pre-med when I was at Loyola because I was studying physics and that was kind of my plan. Like I respect medicine a lot. My dad's an excellent nephrologist in Delaware, kidney doctor, nephrologist. I respect medicine a lot, but I learned a lot about the amount of different, I saw so many different surgeons during that time in my life. Each one of them told me a different thing. And that was when I really connected like your childlike understanding of a doctor is that they know the right answer. What they say is the truth through and through, and you should trust them. And that's it. And this not so much. I mean, I do have a now a wearying trust of medical stuff from a distance, just because there's nothing wrong with it. But all a surgeon or a doctor is doing is making an objective choice or prediction based off of the things that they're seeing that they've they're comparing to whether it's a textbook or their residency or whatever it is that they're taking that experience from. And for me, especially with this surgery, I recognize that my problem was so unique no one knew what the solution was. Mm. They were just like, I think this surgery, the bone splooge thing should work. Like, <laughs> it's like yeah. I, I think and I, I'm, I'm bumping into this with my stomach stuff. Like, yeah. I, like, I realized that the doctors are like restaurants. Like when yes. you're younger, you just assume you'll go in, you'll have a great meal, like, mm. and it won't give you food poisoning. Right. But that's not necessarily the case. Like there are codes, there are instructions, there are ways to do it. But like, I went into a doctor who it was like an hour and a half long wait time. I was clearly seeing somebody who had like a high volume. So by the time he saw me, he really only had five minutes. Yeah. Like, and, and he didn't have time to like figure out like what the hell was happening. He didn't have time to like even look at how like maybe some of the details of the tests might be able to. That's what I'm saying, dude. You're fine. And he goes, and now it's been like five months of me having problems and not being able to like necessarily deal with it. You know, everybody's got to follow their code and everything like that. But That's what they did for this surgery. They did, uh, the doctor in Delaware objectively did the right surgery for most knees, for most anatomies, for like on 90% of the knees that he does this surgery on, it works. However, I do not have a 90% knee. Like I have a very different knee structurally, mm-hmm. but not like... I wish that from a surgical standpoint or, or anything, what surgical, whatever, I wish there was a little bit more focus on the individual circumstances. Or so they could be more surgical about it. Be more surgical about <laughs> it. And just like be, maybe take some more fucking measurements. Know what size my knee is and understand how much force that little tiny deformed guy can hold and maybe understand, oh, maybe I need to use a smaller screw here because her knee is smaller, whatever. Yeah. I'm not a surgeon, but that would have been my guess. Well, what, what, is, what, what, is, what is crazy about this story is, uh, and if I'm, if I'm getting this straight, you're, you're in Nashville. We're going to do the ballerina thing. I was never going to do the ballerina Okay, you were doing, but you were... I was I was a very serious amateur. Uh, it was a very big part of my life. And when I was when I was in high school, I was dancing probably twenty hours a week. I on the weekends I'd be preparing for some sort of show. It was a very big part of my. That was a bigger creative outlet for me than music was. Music was a much more backseat when I was in high school and middle school. Did you move to Nashville for music? Yes, but okay. that was almost unexpected. I remember my friends in college. I would do music. 
it was a very private, sacred thing for me. Like my first co-write was in Nashville when I was 22. Like other than that, I was writing by myself in a room. It was a very therapeutic thing. And I actually recently, I've I've missed that side of my writing, which I arguably can never get back because yeah. I, it's like, I know too much now. The curtain's yeah. been lifted. Mm-hmm. I will always be thinking too structurally, too overanalyzing of songwriting now. However, that being said, my songs were hot trash then. So like... Well, they, that's harsh. Well, <laughs> I, I, I think, I think, beautiful track. I think learning. I think learning technique, at least you know, and this is my own experience of it, is like learning technique, like gives you the tools so that when you do need the therapy, it isn't like flaming pile of trash, or at yes. least you know where you're going off. Like I, you know, there are times where I'm like sitting down and I'm writing a song, and then there are times where I'm like, I need to write about this thing because I'm feeling it right now, right? And I don't care if it goes anywhere, but at least like the internal rhymes are tight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think I I have been trying to figure out how can I access that reason that I fell in love with songwriting when I was, or when I started doing it when I was 12 and I didn't really know what I was doing. How can I get that more innocent sort of emoting experience back from songwriting, which I still have. My songs are very much based off of personal emotions. Well, and a song like Ruin It, like I love. Yeah, Ruin It was a pretty free flowing thing. And I love how that moves. I mean, that song just like. Your lips are night. I don't know what this is, but I don't want to ruin it, yeah. I just know that I don't want to ruin it, yeah. And, but even also like New Heartbreak, like that. Thank like, you. That song starts somewhere and then by the time it hits the chorus, like it, I don't know, it sells what it's trying to say. Lights down, action, here's my next distraction. Um, that felt very relevant to me and very oh, therapeutic. Yeah, good. But that's that's all I want. You know, that's that's the goal right now. Like, I think my definition of, and I've said this so many times, but like, uh, well, not to you guys, but to in life, my definition of success has changed a lot for what I want my artist stuff to be. And that's been, you know, me taking a long time to answer what the, even what the question of what kind of artist am I, that took me up until this year to answer. And some people answer that question very quickly and fucking kudos to them, you know? But for me, it took a lot of trial and error and taking breaks and breaking my leg and doing all those things. And then now I've gotten closer to answering that question. And now it used to be, it's like, Okay, well, I either play arenas or I die, and those are the only <laughs> right. options, you know. Well, the origin story—I love or- like origin stories. Like you know, Bonnie Vera goes off to a cabin oh, in the woods in Wisconsin. Fucking yeah. Ritalocene. Yeah, right. Oh. right? Uh, no, right uh, from a forever ago. Yes. You dig a human growth hormone. <laughs> 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 you got yes. into Sad Alex. And turn, you know, well, and that's, that's not well, really you turn, true. I turned into Alexa. Alexa, yeah. Oh, okay. but that was the first iteration. Another trial and error. But there were th- highs of Alexa, though. There were some good moments. I just, I think that's insanely fascinating. Like, I think it's really, like, I don't know. I think the lowest points of everybody's life and the way that it winds up defining who, like, who you wind up becoming. It was a low, oh my God. I can't express to you how depressed I was. Oh my God. And you thought you were going to die. I mean, that's a crazy yeah. thing to. Well, think. the scary like, thing is now they've told me that that surgery that they wanted to do more than likely actually would have backfired and potentially my knee could have shattered into like fucking 100 pieces, oh which is that's what I'm just like, all right, I love you guys, but I'm not going to trust you now. Because another thing is like I went into the physical therapy, Stacy at the Curlin and Job at, in a, it's all the way in like West L.A. She's she was the best physical therapist I've ever worked with. And she really brought me back from like I was in a pretty it took me a full two years to even get my mobility back. And I was basically learning how to 
use this kind of jacked up because it's still definitely like a Frankenstein knee. I'm not going to say that I'm out here with this 100% knee. It gives me a lot of problems still. But she really figured it out with me and helped me. I I was like running on an anti-gravity treadmill and like figuring out all this shit to figure out what I was capable of doing with my leg. I need to back up. What's the anti-gravity treadmill? Oh, they're so sick, dude. You put on these like space pants and then you, you zip into this. It looks like a treadmill with a big balloon on it and you zip yourself into the balloon which then fills with air to lift the pressure and like you can adjust exactly how much percentile of your weight that you want to be running with you can run with 25 10 percent of your weight so you feel like you're running on the goddamn moon Whoa. and it's usually used Space for fast. actually it's usually used for very overweight people who well it's, it's used for um uh, that's not entirely true it's used for like lower body injuries but also for like if you're really overweight and you're trying to, like, it's hard for you to run when you're very overweight because your joints can't take that kind of force all the time. So you can get into this anti-gravity treadmill, take some of the weight off of your joints, get the cardio in without having to put your joints through that sort of trauma. Wow. Um, but the, that that shit was dope. And that was just one element. She was... She, I thought it was just like a floating suspended... Uh. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, you feel like you are. You really... Like, wow. You are floating. Like, you're just like... Especially when I started, and she started me, I think, 10% of my body weight or maybe like 20 and I'm just like, I'm just like, whoa. <laughs> Strolling along. But she, she really just started helped. floating for everybody who can't see. She just yeah. floated a little bit. Just And I like trust those people more. Not that I say, I mean, I don't want to be like, fuck doctors, because doctors are important. But like, she's the one that actually would look at, okay, I noticed that this is giving you pain. This isn't, this is where we're struggling. This is where you're weak. This is where you're strong. And she would develop a very, you know, personalized plan for how to make me get from this point to this point. And she did. Whereas the surgeon, I would sit in there and there was at one point in this one, I, same the same place I was meeting with one of the doctors in there. At one point there were like 10 doctors, some doctors, some interns, whatever. And they were just so mind blown with like my knee and my, my whole story because it's unlike anything they've ever seen. And they would be like poking it. They'd be like, does this hurt? And I'll be like, no. They'll be like, does this hurt? And I'd be like, not really. I don't really like you doing that, but like it, it doesn't hurt. It was, they were just like, it was like a house case, really. They were just like poking me. They're like, oh my God, we have no idea why this happened. I'm like, well, it did. So like, let's stop focusing on like the, how did it happen? Because this is my life. Like, yeah. welcome to the show of my fucked up knee. Let's figure out how to make me not be in a wheelchair when I'm 45, you know? Yeah. So it's fucked. But from a creative standpoint, and that does very much concern me. I get worried about where, actually I had, in terms of burying the hatchet, I met with the surgeon a couple months ago in Delaware, who I had a lot of anger for. When it first happened, oh my God, poor guy. He's a young surgeon too. I was sobbing, crying, screaming at him in the office, being like, what did you do to me? Like, how how could you do this to me? My life is ruined. And he was just like- With the screws? Mm-hmm. Well, this was after the big the injury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was the first complication he ever had. Mm. So he, and I know that shit still keeps him up at night. <laughs> I know it does. Because then I met with him now. Hatchet, been, hatchet has been buried. And he was actually very pleasantly surprised with, like he was happy with my x-ray and stuff. And I was worried he was going to say like, you got pretty, you know, developed arthritis. You got all this stuff. And he was like, actually, your shit's doing okay. You're going to be all right. Like, I think I'll always have knee problems, but like now I'm a little bit more relieved as to what my future looks like. Fuck. Well, <laughs> turned it around. Um, this is so much of my knee. No. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by <laughs> your knee. <laughs> no, I no. mean, but it's but I think to, to where it becomes relevant for your stuff, it's like you've been through stuff, you've experienced things, and I saw this thing online. Maybe it was Pinterest. We were talking about Pinterest earlier. Pinterest. I saw this thing online where it's just like I didn't go through all this for nothing, mm-hmm. right? And I think that like anybody who's been through some shit, like 
uses that to at least justify. Because I think a lot of people, when like good things start to happen or whatever, just like, oh, do I deserve this? Like whatever. Like I do feel not like an entitlement to it, but I do feel like I'm going to work to make this stuff happen because I, I can't imagine everything that's happened in my life being for nothing. Well, we say that, but I will say that like a lot of the good things that have happened to me in the last year, you, you know, we, we like have all these things that we're like, oh my God, all I want is to have a label. All I want is to have some money. All I want is to have this. And then when it's presented to you, you're like, but is this the right thing? Yeah. And you're yeah. like, but is this the best option? And then someone says, oh, I heard bad things about that. I'm like, oh shit, did you? Why? And then you're like yeah. looking it up and then you're doubting it. And then realizing that at the end of the day, of course, think through your decisions and not every decision is the right thing to do. But like sometimes your reluctance to doing things is just your reluctance to accept a good thing because you've been so used to fucking struggling for so long. Which yeah. goes back to what we were first talking about, about yeah. like insecurities just sort of coming up out of nowhere. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, yeah. have I made bad decisions before? Will I make them again? Et cetera, et cetera. And then you don't sleep for a week. Well, because I think the unfortunate thing, not, I mean, this, this whole, you know, the, the label deal has been a really exciting thing and it's, it's going to be great for my project and everything. You just uh, signed with Red Bull? I did. Yeah. Which has been great. But the reality being like, I'm 28. This is the first deal I've ever signed, but I've had a, well, not that's, I mean, besides my publishing deal, that's different, but like I've had a series of, you know, meetings at a bunch of major labels that I took when I wasn't ready for it. And like, I had a distribution deal that was really looking like a big thing. And I told all these people about it. I told my family about it. It fell through in long form and like just fucking dissolved and went away. And so getting to this point with, I actually, this whole process of negotiating this deal, I've been so emotionally removed from it because I am now conditioned to this. I didn't even, I got a lot of shit actually because I didn't tell my parents. (laughs) I'm sitting there in the room in the conference. They brought the whole team in. My manager's there, everybody. Like we're all celebrating, having champagne. And I, someone said like, oh, like, how did your parents feel about this? I'm like, I haven't told them. And the room like went quiet and they were just like, you haven't told your mom and dad about this? And I'm just like, uh, no, is that? Then I was like, shit, is that really bad? I was like, not that I don't, I love you guys. Like, this is a great thing. I just like, I had that happen, particularly with that distribution deal. And I would tell my parents because I was just trying to get them to understand like, there are good things happening. Yeah. Like, some things I'm are coming together. Yeah. I'm not an idiot. And then you have to have that awkward conversation at Christmas, like two yeah. wines deep when your mom's like, oh, what was that distribution? I mean, not everybody's mom is British. Only mine is. But like, your mom's British? She is. Okay. Um, she's like, oh, what was that dis- distribution, that deal that you were talking about? I'm like, oh, it fucking, it's gone. And then that, I hated that conversation, yeah. you know, like every time. Or they'll ask like, oh, what was that thing that you were talking about? And you just have to, un- just like, oh, it just didn't happen. no, I don't know. So now I'm just so much like, I will not, I don't believe it. Until yeah, the fucking until the, spaghetti's on the wall, the you know, like <laughs> that's a, that's an expression that everybody uses. Everybody, yeah. day in, day out, since yeah, the beginning the of time. Spaghetti on the wall. Spaghetti yeah. on the wall. The old spaghetti well, on the wall thing. I like that because you can't you can't argue with spaghetti on the wall. Like no. it's all conjecture. Until if there's actually spaghetti on the wall. Did you ever do that a, when you were growing up? Like throw the spaghetti on the wall to make sure it was cooked. Oh yeah, I've, I've heard of that. My mom I, and I did that. I I did have not. Done what? That, but, no, it's, it's <laughs> you, you, you take it and you throw it at the wall, and if it sticks, it's cooked. And then you can't eat the spaghetti. No, that one is a sacrifice. Throw all the spaghetti on the wall. Just just one of them. One noodle and you throw yeah, it at the just wall. Like that's the check. <laughs> See, I'm imagining you taking the whole. Oh no 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 no! no. Just you just take one noodle. You one noodle. Throw it at the wall. If it sticks, it's good to go. I have a lot of. I actually use spaghetti in a lot of my self-made sayings. I I feel like sometimes releasing music feels like throwing spaghetti into the sky. And 
Wow. That's what the process of releasing music has felt like for the last year. I'm laughing because that makes no sense to me. I don't know if you're laughing because it does. No, it makes total sense. Okay. No, you spent all this time making this spaghetti dish and you've you've made it and you've cooked it right. And then you literally, you just go. And it goes everywhere and also nowhere. And you're just like. It just. That was Flutters around and then falls back down to the ground eventually. And if you're lucky, it might land in a bowl somewhere. But you don't know. You don't know. I love that. (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you. That's how releasing <laughs> has felt for my the majority I, of my twenties. I don't know how to. I, th- I just think as 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 a as a what's as, as an honorary Italian, it speaks to it. That, sure. that metaphor really speaks to me. That's all. I just want to speak to somebody. <laughs> I don't care if it speaks to everybody, but it speaks to you, and that's important. <laughs> But anyway, now I've been like really excited. I'm trying to, my roommate actually, she's really good at like, you know, helping you look at your, you know, real issues and emotional growth and shit and pointing out things that you might be not thinking about, whatever. And she was the one, she's like, I think you're just, just accept a good thing. She's like, you've been working really hard and like things are being presented to you. Don't be so doubtful of it. Don't be so imposter syndrome about it. It's like I always say, eat the spaghetti on your plate. Eat the spaghetti. Just fucking eat it. Or eat the spaghetti that you made, you know? Like if you make, if you, if you spend <laughs> wow. all this time making food like for yourself, that. like, spaghetti that you made. just eat, enjoy the meal. Eat the spaghetti that you take. Eat the spaghetti that you steal from other people. <laughs> eat the spaghetti that you ordered, you know? <laughs> eat the carbonara mm. that's presented. You should go, if you like spaghetti, Taroni has really dope spaghetti. There's a, on Sunset, there's a, a really good spaghetti place. What is that? I think it's called spaghetti. There's just some spaghetti yeah. on Sunset. There's John and Vinny's. I haven't been to John and Vinny's yet, but that's a kind of an upscale Italian place. It's right on, um, I think it's Fairfax, I believe. And it's supposed to be like, you, I mean, you have to like make a reservation. They have like a whole thing, but. Well, you know, uh, Meta at a bar? Yes. Uh, the place cool. they're making now a place called Met, Met him, him at a bar. bar. It's a pasta oh. joint, and it's pasta because he's Italian. Ooh, I like that. And hopefully, it's pasta with a Thai twist. That's what Ooh. I'm thinking it will be. Won't that just be Thai? Yeah, that was. What I isn't was Thai just, just yeah. spaghetti with a Thai? No, twist? but there's like I feel like there's <laughs> that like an was interesting completely demeaning the entire culture of like. Thai <laughs> no, I, I think I actually think this is super interesting because I think that like a lot of pasta shapes come from like dumplings. Like there's a lot of yeah. shared shapes between the two, even though they are separately evolved food or like not nothing separately Dude, evolved in human culture. Dude, that was the most American like... thing. I hate myself for <laughs> saying that. Like, isn't Thai food just a fucking like <laughs> Thai <laughs> spaghetti? It's all just, <laughs> no, but, no, it's all just noodles to me. You know, it's all just. <laughs> but I, I think about it a lot in terms of like all cultures have their like version of like like a like a sandwich or yes. like a burrito like every Ooh, a co- me. yeah like mm. just like meat and starch and like certain combinations kind of crop up in separately evolved like food cultures and I think but I think there's an interesting gray area between like pasta that's like kind of like this other dish which is already kind of like pasta but you could sort of like fuse the two cuisines like that's like I actually think that's really interesting like those kinds of that would be cool food things really interesting I'll go with him yeah sick. Met him at a bar. It's happening. It's happening. You uh, you wrote down that your favorite lyric oh, yeah. was I did. from Dear Whatever. Yes. What's the lyric? Um, I finally found the part of me I thought I left in you. I just finally found the part of me I thought I left in you. And why does that resonate with you? Um, that song was just a really... That song, that session, everything about that song was what you ideally want for a song. In that, like, I had a session, it was with uh, Christian Metis, who's a great producer guy. He does, he's, he does his thing. He's 
Great. That was a really stupid sentence. Um, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Christian Metis, you can look him up. He does things. Um, but we had a session that day and that morning I had this idea in my brain. And I think it was it was that um, the pre of that song and like the I finally found the part of me I thought I left in you. And I kind of came in with that. And he was like, I like that. And we had a really fun, very just like organic session making it. And pretty much the entirety of the production of that song occurred in that session. Mm -hmm. There was a little bit of like um, Gazza did the mix on it and added a couple things like just to kind of thicken it up, whatever. But it was for the most part, this framework of that song was done in one easy day. It, the vocal is the demo vocal. There's not a lot of layers in it. And it's a very simple song. And it was a therapeutic for me because it was like I was finally it took me a long time to get over this guy that wasn't even, I mean, it wasn't band even guy? a guy. Who? Band guy? Not band guy. No, this was well before band. This was one of the first guys that I met in LA. It was actually what fucked me up because I moved to LA and everyone was like, watch out for guys in LA. They're really bad. <laughs> and <laughs> they're really, really bad. That's right. I was told the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I met this guy within probably two weeks of being in LA that sort of swept me off my feet and started taking me all these cool parties and like all these things. And I was like, what are you talking about? Dating in LA is amazing. Mm -hmm. This guy's fucking great, whatever. And we had this little few month thing. It was, I'm not, I, I tend to over dramatize things in my head and for my writing, like oh, realistically. Me too, 100%. Yes. You're fine. Yeah. So it's, it's our jobs. Par for the course. That yeah, being said, it was a very real connection. I felt, I, it was one of those annoying things where I tried to keep my guard up with him for a while and he just kept on like convincing me to take my guard down and convincing me that we were about to kind of go on this thing. I met his mom. I met his sister. He was talking about bringing me up to meet his dad, like the whole thing. And so I was like, oh shit, like this is getting real. And then he pulled the rug out and it really fucked my shit up. For a minute, like I was very broken. Because you were really getting used to being someone he loved. Uh, yeah, I was getting used to it, and yeah. it just whatever. But he pulled the rug out. It was great though, because I wrote. I mean, not to diminish everything to a song, but like it really helped launch a lot of the songs. Well, and that's. I mean, that's the thing. Whenever people, whenever people are like, "Oh yeah, well, you'll get some songs out of it, whatever." I'm just like, "That's the fucking worst concession." <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want like, this 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 breathing person that I was in love with. You're right. telling me that what I have now is literally air. Yes. <laughs> like, like, you, like I, I, this person goes poof, and all I have is like, w like words and like how my speakers vibrate in a specific way. Like that is not a concession no. prize. No, it's not, and it sucks. Like that. But that being said, but like if the song is well and people like it, and then you get paid, yeah. and also you get people who also connect with you and validate your experiences, that's also really and then you nice. get a deal and like whatever, you know, yeah, whatever, whatever that's fine. Yeah, it's good, yeah. But actually, for a long time, for but like in the a moment, year, sucks. in the moment, sucks. Yeah. And I wrote only like heartbreak songs for like a year. I probably wrote 150 songs about breaking up, about this guy, you know, or like about how broken I was. And then I was finally like, it took me a couple of years, which is like. Not to say it took me, I was obviously seeing other people or whatever, but the thing was, he was such a strong connection for me. And then I would meet someone else that just wasn't quite as good, which is actually what the song Almost is about, which I put out recently. Too. I was going to ask you about that song, too. There, uh, yes. The, the hook. If it's almost right, does that mean it's wrong? We were almost right. But if it's almost right, does it mean it's wrong? That is awesome. Like that's, Thank you. Yeah. That's and that's how I feel a lot about, because the reality being people think and people, especially like my manager and not I keep bringing him up he's a he's a great guy but he'll make fun of me because he's like oh you'll find a new fling next week whatever and it's like that's actually not true like I don't I don't truly on a real level connect with that many people I could count on probably one or two hands the amount of people that I've had real deep connections with that really got to me over the last probably six years of my life but 
yeah, of course I see people and we all have fun and we do the one night stand things and that's fine. Like we all do it. It's all good. But like in terms of real people and that's why like you meet someone and you're just like, oh, this is this is kind of cool, but like it's not like the other thing. And that's obviously a terrible mindset no, to but, go but in. It's, it's very hard. I think especially when you have like a bad breakup, you're like, you, you look at almost everybody and you're like, none of them, maybe somebody's better looking, but not like a better personality. Somebody's yep. like really fun to talk to, but not like, like, and then all of that could be true, but then like their taste in movies are shit. And then you're like, but she really loved that movie or whatever. Right. Like, I think that's the problem with meeting people who are really like, um, a word I, I used a lot was like irreplicable. Mm. Yeah. Is Good that word. if you try to replicate it, it it doesn't the best thing you do is just like try to you know but that's harder it but i think hard. i think on the other side the comfort in in it is that we are always changing and that like once once you've moved on from something that you've like a connection that you had in the past like you know if you try to reconnect with that person it might not even it's like a different it's an entirely different thing so yeah. like it's it, we, we can't like we can't hold on to like even even when we're with people like we're like things are changing and like the ground is shifting always, which is there's. A, I think there's a kind of comfort in that. I think no. I, I think I time travel too much to easily do you, it. Wait, though. You, you time travel? Yeah, of course. Like, and that's amazing. Yeah, you accelerating yourself really fast. What are you doing? Oh, you know, I, like there's I there's a guy outside of a tattoo shop actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Oh wow! The full circle punchline of that. I loved that so much. Yeah, he actually goes. Do you want to see my time machine? Help me out. Just yeah, shoot you backwards, back close alley, to the yeah. speed of light, can, and you'll I, get I'll there. I'll get you within like uh, like where you where you're going, plus or minus fifty, sixty. No, it's just, it's just, it's just a, lot of, a lot of DMT, you know. Um, Dude, no. that's uh, what I've heard about DMT. Fuck, I haven't well, done it. You but. go so far back that you see the birth of the universe, from what I've heard. Um, Have you done DMT? No, oh, okay. it's on the it's on the bucket list though. Yeah, um, I don't know. If I- no, what I mean by time travel is that like our job is to not just remember the to the past, get in a moment, but to yeah. actually get into a moment. Because that's the thing. If you if you th- think about oh. like a date that you've had, the difference between remembering something and time traveling is being able to actually feel how you felt in that moment. So you can go back to a date with somebody who was an absolute asshole to you. When you remember it, you remember that moment in the context of them being an asshole. If you time travel to it, you get to be happy. Interesting. Well, it's very beautiful. So I think, like, sometimes I write songs remembering moments, and sometimes I write songs time traveling to it. Likewise, like, I think I time travel forward if I need sort of like a pick me up. Like, that was a really tough week that I had. You know, I wasn't writing anything good, but, you know, let me tell you, uh, Jimmy Fallon, the following week is when I wrote the hit. My big hit. Yeah. Yeah, That's that's good. (laughs) I think I, you know, I think I have a hard time being in the moment a lot. I've oftentimes felt like there's not a lot. You know, well, some of the hardest thing in our job and what I've I've been trying to do, like there's certain exercises that I've been doing and books that I've been reading to try to improve this part of the songwriting, which is like a whole thing. It's it's one thing to write about a moment like he said this to me and I felt this way. But if you can really dive more into the moment, you're just like the, you know, the cotton gray shirt he was wearing and like the unfinished plate of spaghetti that like was reminiscent of like if you can get that like the specifics and it's not rock, everyone just loves like that's why like baby pull me closer in the like yeah. that's why that shit worked well, of sure. course yeah because it was so specific and tangible and all these things but it is it is a lot easier to remember a moment a moment vaguely than it is to be like let me sit in it what yeah. was he wearing what was he like what how was he fidgeting like all of those things like those are 
to make a showing statement as opposed to a telling statement. Yeah. Th- though, of course, now it's been, I mean, post-closer, it's been co-opted by people who are not necessarily authentically doing it. Like, I've, like I've Can we people, get specific? Yeah, they're, yeah, like, it's, they're a, like... It's an aesthetic now. You know, you're, you know like, like, and you looked at me with your gray sweater, like, like, like throwing <laughs> it in for the sake of doing it, but... Yeah. There, there. I think, and I come. You know, I love folk music. Like, I think there are ways where it's just like very quietly setting well, up certain. I feel like scenes, it's like it's like know? it's like the. It, um, it reminds me of the lessons from the screenplay about Gone Girl and about like mm. subtext. Like, it's like you know when when you because in songwriting you don't have a lot of lyrical real estate. Like, you can you only have so many words and like a specific structure, and you're trying to say something. I think a lot of the stuff that's really cool is something that just like gets is like adjacent to like it. it you paint a feeling rather than just like hitting the nail over the head. Like it's sure. a similar kind of, of thing that you're trying to do. Just like say something while not saying it with the details. Like that's, it, but there's an art to it that I think is really cool. Yeah, no, that's, that's true. And the whole point of this, circling back. Circling back. Steer whatever. Steer whatever. Steer whatever was actually a moment for me. It took me, I was so locked in the, broken in a sense the remembering aspect of the that whole relationship and I finally as time as it does you don't think it's going to do it but then time passes and you start healing you do, you, know? do, you, do you know that song by Randy Newman Losing You no oh, it's, I'll, I'll play it for you after Please, this. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful um, but there's this great line in it where it's like uh, when you're young and there's time you forget the past you don't think that you will but you do <laughs> it's so nice that's beautiful yeah. that's really nice but this was like the, one of the first songs that I wrote about moving on. And you always want your emotional dick on the table moment where you can tell someone, hey, like, this is how I feel and whatever. And you think it's going to make you feel better. But ultimately, you always decide or you try to decide to not send that 2 a.m. text after like a few beers to lay your emotional dick because ultimately you don't know how it's going to come across. You don't know what they're going to say back. And even though you think it's going to give you closure, it might not give you closure. Yeah. But sometimes, and, and this is another way I don't like to water down what we do, there is some sort of cathartic thing like that song, if he's heard it, I know he has, and he probably knows it's about him, whatever. But for me, it's at least an opportunity to say my piece and to try to like, and that's actually, there's a pretty positive message in it. It's like, I want you to be happy. I'm not, it's not about your ex, like that if you want to be with her, like that's fine. I'm just letting you know that I'm finally moving on. It took me a long time and I don't think he really cared or knew that I was going through what I was going through, but I re- and I never thought I was going to feel like myself again in those dark moments. But then eventually I found that part of myself that I felt like you had took from me. And it did heal. And here I am stronger and whatever. Well, I, I think what's what's really powerful about those songs, especially when you've, like, you've been trying to write how you feel about something, when you finally write the one where it's like, yeah, that was it. Yeah. Yep. Like that's that's the one where I said what I needed to. Yeah. To sort of move on from that that experience. and And that is when... Music becomes cathartic. That's when, when okay, maybe the concession prize is an error, but the process of, of puffing the shit out. But like, you know, I think when when it first starts stinging, it's like, like having like a you know a gash on your you know on your body and and, and just trying to put like a band aid over it by like writing songs. But eventually, yeah. you put so many band aids on, and the damn thing heals up anyway. You yeah, know? It's just yeah. like. Um, and then, you know, occasionally you insert uh, human growth hormone. To- <laughs> <laughs> well, I think one thing that I Call want Callback jokes. Is- That's what we're doing today. Yo, we're I love it. Back. Human growth. Get in. Do your research. It's good shit. If you can get your hands on it, fucking do it. 
Uh, there's a tattoo shop down the street. It's I mean yeah. it's expensive. We'll we'll go into it. I'll try to I'll try to show you where we can get it. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I used to have a website that I knew I could order from and get somewhat reliable HGH from China. But then I think they shut down the website, so I'm not totally sure where I would go from now. Anyway, um, yeah, so sorry, moving I, I, forward, <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 uh, measuring what I can say before I get arrested. For, we we yeah. might be we might be actually being looked for now. <laughs> We're on a list, <laughs> probably. We're on a list. Um, um, but wait, fuck! I was gonna say something. I lost my hold on. I lost. Dear it. whatever, uh, catharsis of writing songs. Oh, okay. So that's what I want for this brand in particular. And there's there are pros and cons to approaching it this way. But that's what I want for this brand is to be as transparent as possible and I feel like a lot of artists I mean everyone artists are very honest but I want to be as close to the real in-person version of me as I can throughout across the board and that includes like when I have a song coming out I want to say like hey this was about my guitarist that I dated and it didn't work out and it fucked my shit up because of this and that like I want to be as fucking real as I can and that does and I don't want to do it at the at the expense of blowing up someone's spot that didn't ask to be like I won't yeah. keeping it anonymous whatever. I learned the hard way but, yes. Yeah. And so you, I do want to make sure that people are protected, and I don't want to do something that gives someone that makes someone in, uncomfortable. And maybe it's arguably I should maybe say, "Are you okay with me doing this?" Yeah. But that's just how I want my brand to be. Uh, so long, my artist projects have felt like I've had to put my artist cape on and be this persona, and that is so. It took me a long time to realize like that is not what I want now. I just, if anything, if the artist thing is going to work, it has to be as close it has to be yourself like that's the only way it's gonna work yeah otherwise the jig will be up at some point now you you launched sad alex this year i did and the first thing that was sort of up was the song you had with vincent yes and he uh, is my my baby <laughs> i birthed him here I for you him. but i i love him so much he's that was actually a really really fun session he i showed up at his place and he's a super fun like down to earth like goofy guy we end up having a probably two hour conversation about Fortnite and oh, yeah. old relationships. He was showing me. He's a big. He's big into gaming, and mm -hmm. he was showing me his whole process with that. And we talking were, about all the exes that broke up with him over Fortnite. It's I mean, me or it's Fortnite. Honestly, like his his involvement with exes and gaming is actually kind of crazy. But um, we were going through something very similar, and I came in with a somewhat fleshed out idea. I really had um, the hey, I hope that you're okay. I've been drinking about you every single weekend. Like I had come in with that to that session, but that was more like we had this two hour conversation mm -hmm. and then that inevitable silence comes when you're just like, well, we came here for a reason yeah, <laughs> and now we have to make so the, the mounting the dread thing. of that moment is, Dude, isn't it crazy? It, oh my God, it's, I've been doing this now for two years. <laughs> it's still so stressful. It, it is stressful. Actually, to be honest, I used to get stressed about it, but that's actually arguably my favorite part of the session. Oh, I mean, that's and, why we're doing this. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think I actually just, I'm trying to minimize any stress with songwriting at all now because I yeah. think the problem when you go into a session, either A, when someone's like, oh, you have that session with this producer this week and they've got the the cut and this and that and the other thing and the whatever. It, and you, you kind of feel that pressure, that unspoken thing. It's like, wow, I got to make a heater in the session or else I have failed and it's reflecting poorly on me or whatever it is. Yeah. But I've actually realized now, especially like I got a sense of validation that I needed when I went to Sweden because when I was going there, and not to say that I'm like, ego, I'm the best, whatever. But like, no, it wasn't like that at all. It was more in the fact that like, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves every time we go into a room with random people that we are going to go in and we're going to make this amazing piece of art that's undeniable and it's going to be easy and it happens quickly and everybody's happy and we 
we all sleep well that night. And that is a big thing. It's a big task. And in the sense of like my continued goal to just be real, I want to be able to go into a room, have an enjoyable time with, with people. And even like we might come together sometime, try to work on something. It might not work for whatever that day. And what I wish that we could all get better at with as songwriters, as producers, whatever, is be like, hey, guys, this energy feels off. We all aren't fucking with this that much. And that's okay. Let's go get a sandwich. Let's yeah. go like, let's just call this for today or like maybe try again later or like whatever it is. Yeah. And we can still have, or even if you like, don't water down like what you said, coming up with one good melody. There are some people like, when I come in and shit out a song and that's what I feel the pressure, I'm like, I need to write something from start to finish. Sometimes I've worked with people that are like, wow, like, I can't believe you just even wrote a full song. I'm like, really? What do yeah. people usually do in yeah. here? You know? When you're, and you're coming from the Nashville thing where it's like crap yeah. out three a day yes. like, yeah. in a session, whatever. I, I think that for, for me, I, I would oftentimes get very down on myself when I was writing with people, especially people I knew were good and we, things weren't happening because I felt like I would be dragging my feet. But also... I can gauge like energy in a session. Like I can figure out how we're feeling if we're getting excited. There have been times when we've been really excited about a song and I hear it tomorrow and it sucks. And there have been times where I'm like, this bombed. And then we listen to it when we finally have the stomach to listen to it. And it's like, oh, actually, this is pretty good. Yeah. Most of the time, when I go into the session that I put a lot of pressure on it, it ends up being an okay session. And then the one that you don't put any pressure on ends up being this amazing song. Or I just try to go in now, I just really don't give a fuck. Like I, I don't want to waste anyone's time writing a song that isn't good. We are, and we can all, we are all experienced enough and have, are can objectively listen to something. And granted, I say that, and now I, I kind of take it back because no, sometimes like that's the thing. It's like sometimes I'm just really tired. Also, like I've been usually able to like trust my gut, and now my gut now your gut doesn't is really work. yeah, you're, it's yeah. very misleading. Like I, you know, I used to be like I feel sick uh, all the time. Yeah, I'd be like, I'd be like <laughs> stomach. Do you like this song? And it would like you know gurgle Girl. and hurt for a second, and I'd be like bad song. But now it just gurgles and hurts all yeah, the time. I mean, that's and, just yeah. your life now. That's my life. But I think I think it's like a lot of times we're driven by our taste, and like our taste changes. Like quite like a fair amount. Like you can definitely hear. Like there, there. Like when, the first time I heard the record Blonde, I was like, eh. You know, like yeah. I was just like, it didn't hit me in that particular moment in that context. And I listened to another context and like really loved it. And like, if we put out, if we do what we want to do and put out like good records that are doing things in the world, like that's also the relationship other people are going to have with well, it. And, you know, our it's our relationships with our own work and with other people's work are going to ebb and flow. And we've been going so, back yeah. on demos and stuff. And there, there have been a couple of times we've been jokingly like listening to stuff we made three years ago. We'd be like, were we ahead of our time? You know, like, yeah. but that's the thing. Well, like, we listened to stuff that we thought at the time was like shit because what we were listening to didn't reflect what we were making. But now what we're listening to. Well, that's why I, I kind of rescind what I said in the, in the sense that like, your worst song might be the song or what you think is your worst yeah. song might make you the most money because at the end of the day, music is subjective and it, it you don't know. Yeah. We can think that something's great and it might never get cut. That was actually one of the writers that I work with at Red Bull a lot and he's um, he's been in this a little bit longer than I have. His name's Rami and he, like that was, there was a moment at a camp when um, there was a couple of my, we were working in this camp for this young R&B pop artist and they were taking uh, two of my songs from outside that I had done previously this camp and and having her cut on them. And I had this, my initial reaction to that was kind of selfish and kind of like immature and that I was like, but what if I don't want her to have those songs? Like, and for me personally, I didn't express this to them, but I, I did like, I think they understood they could kind of get that I felt uncomfortable. And because in, in my mind, I was like, I wanted Kalani to have that song, you know? And yeah. I was having a drink with Rami like, after the camp was done one day and I was like, I, I don't know, I feel really uncomfortable with this. And he was like, you know what? Like, honestly, 
your song that you think is going to be your number one hit probably will never get cut. And your song that you think is hot garbage will make you like a million dollars and you have no rhyme or reason to know why. And your best case scenario, like that's why I, I totally see what you guys are saying. Your best case scenario these days is to break a new artist. Like mm -hmm. the window of getting that major label or major artist A-list cut is so small. Mm -hmm. And there's so many hoops that you have to make it through in order for that to land and not to say that it's not possible it is and when it happens it's fucking golden but like i much prefer to work with an artist like at the growing stages like the artist that i was working with yesterday halo boy he's this dope grungy kind of marilyn manson meets like or pop thing that's really different and cool and that gets me off way more to work with someone like that from the ground up knowing like i see like where that could launch and yeah maybe a year and a half from now, I'm going to be like sitting pretty in my yacht yeah. that I bought, <laughs> you know, with that Halo Boy money. Well, exactly. and that's, that's like, you know, we have, we have our people that we've been working with. But I also I think about like, you know, on the one hand, like how Lido must have, you know, fell mm -hmm. when he first heard yeah. Halsey. You know, on the other on the other uh -huh. side, I think about like somebody like Jesse St. John, who mm. is an, obviously an amazing songwriter. He's gotten cuts with like Camila Cabello and, and with like Britney and stuff. But he... And he has an artist project. He's been just trucking at like making stuff. But he he did Truth Hurts with Lizzo two years ago, mm -hmm. yeah, or three years ago, or whatever. And like now he has a song as a as a songwriter that's a like Billboard number one. Yep. That when it was made, like who could have thought? I mean, yeah. same goes for like someone you love that came out a year ago. And that's what they always say. Like they when they put that. I watched a genius thing with the producer of Truth Hurts, and it was like, it was like. When it came out, we were really disappointed. I thought mm. it was going to, he was like, I thought it was a sure thing and it didn't catch. And so I just kind of, I had to just bury my dreams with it. And then all of a sudden someone had to call me to be like, do you know that Truth Hurts is like climbing the charts right now? And then all of a sudden there it was. Yeah. This is some crazy, this is a crazy fucking job we have. That's it how is. it be sometimes. And that's what I like, I hold that for songs like, you know, Dear Whatever is not necessarily performing very well at all. I mean, it's doing okay, but like it's not doing phenomenal but you know if maybe maybe two years from now when shit's popping off more maybe that song will have its have its day and well, there was a song we made right before we left boston called easy for you mm. and that song meant a lot to us like that song was like our last like it was very much a song about moving on from stuff about accepting what was going on like with a past relationship about looking forward to what was coming next like it sort of encapsulated exactly where we were at the time and when it came out Nothing like when it came out, there was no like yep. playlist yeah. support. There was care. very little like blog support. Like it just sort of like petered a little bit. But since then, it's grown organically. Like mm -hmm. since then, people have like listened to it, and like it's now one of our better stream songs. Not obviously in the same way that like Lizzo, right? Know. But what I mean to say is like, but don't water down. Like that's it's great. Like we we water down numbers so much. We yeah. put so much pressure on it. It's like yo. Getting a hundred thousand streams is really cool. Yeah, like, well, be happy with that. And, that. and that's the thing is like, what I'm really proud. I, I'm almost more proud that that song has done well organically than I am for like the songs that did get playlisting or or whatever. Yeah. Because it's one thing to like have things be presented to everybody. It's a whole nother thing. Like, like I love everybody who listens to this podcast because that means that these are people yeah. who wanted to hear uh, like the stories of the artists that were there who might have some interest in us who are in their car like experiencing it you know and if at some point it does pop off or whatever that'd be really cool but for now literally like i know who's like i can see the numbers i can see the growth i can see all that stuff yeah 
the organic level of people who are actually connecting with stuff means the absolute fucking world that's to me. The, that's the bread Even if it's a slower burn. That's the meat and potatoes bread of the thing, the though. Spaghetti and sauce. That's yeah. the, the spaghetti, spaghetti and sauce. sauce. Mm-hmm. It's that pasta water. That, pos- that young pasta water. <laughs> that, that's, that starchy, starchy, that starchy water. That starchy, starchy water, that liquid <laughs> that, gold. That, that sticks to the fucking wall. But then another circle back to what I was saying about that. And that's this whole thing, this rebrand, like just this new kind of emotional growth of my life has been to understand what levels and what or what definition of success is going to ultimately make me happy. And all I really want for my artist stuff, for my songwriting stuff, for my music career in general, is just to be, to like myself every day, to like what I do, the process every day, to like what I make, and to just, you know, hopefully pay my bills, maybe not be in debt, maybe do really well, or maybe, and yeah, I'm not saying like, if I get offered to play an arena, I'll play it. I will stomp the shit out of that arena in my boots. It'll be great. But I also would, my oh, for a second when you said stomp, I'm like, you're going to get like trash cans and like... Oh, I'll stomp. Yeah. I'll do stomp. Yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll I'll do, do stomp. stomp. You'll do stomp in the arena, yeah. I'm more just picturing my thigh-high boots that I would probably want to wear. or I, I probably wouldn't wear that at all, but I just picture thigh-high boots. But like what also, choose. like my more my more uh, immediate goal, which is actually really achievable, I think, with this next wave that I'm doing is is to go on tour in a very small scale. Like I'm talking like the... I'm, I'm here for the 100 cap rooms. Like, let's fucking go. Yeah. Like, I want to do the small connected people, hold their hands while I'm singing some song and talk to them afterwards. And you make those very real 10 fans after a show that yeah. are continue to be on your journey. And there's so many different artists that like, I like the, you know, the Sylvanessos of the world or the whatever that are really respected artists. And they aren't necessarily household names, but they've played the festivals that I want to play. They've done their shit and haven't compromised it. And yeah. they are, you know, known in the industry. And that's that's all I really want. I think practicing that, like, gratitude is really important, as, as sort of preachy as that sounds. I think I had a hard time this year just constantly focusing on and, like, obsessing over what didn't happen. Mm. You know, I think yeah. you know, I got down this year so that we didn't put out any music. But there were goals, like, like moving the piano, like starting the podcast, and, you know, and, and to continue to work with our friends and to develop people, I think we did everything that we said that we wanted to do this year. We got a drummer, you know, right. I mean, those are like, like we did things this year that if you told me three years ago would happen, I would have been like, no, no way. Like I, you know, I, I would, I would be in awe and excited, but now of course, all I can focus on about is it's how negative, we wasted yeah. the year. You know, I'm yeah. thinking so that like, was oh. the, the root of the problems with the Alexa project, um, was, I mean, there's uh, the music was not the music was not authentic. Uh, that was a lot of the Alexa project was me chasing what I thought was going to perform well, chasing what I heard was performing well. And it wasn't actually it was me trying to be sexy, me trying to be all these things that I not to say that I can't be sexy. Like I want to approach sexiness in a more intentional way now. But like that was a, a very it was just not a genuine thing for me we we when we first started thought we were making like sex music like i thought sex like music. that like, <laughs> like we, we were we were, in, we were in college oh, and that, that was we, we were once described as what, what was uh, lurid bedroom lurid pop? bedroom yeah. pop. lurid bedroom pop I, I think that we were just like you know i mean at that point like rkcb and opium whatever i think that like we were, we were trying to lean into you know you grow you grow up yeah. you Dude, figure out how to be sexy to in your own way. now i feel very i hate saying this word i feel so weird saying it let me just say it i'm gonna confidently say it I feel very sexy. Ooh, um, yes. Yes, you do. <laughs> I feel very sexy when I can just be honest about how I feel. Oh, I think yeah. I feel very sexy when I... Uh, Tasteful mas- masochism. Yeah, Tasteful yeah. Masochism. 
<laughs> tasteful masculinity. <laughs> masculinity, rather, yeah. yes. No, you know, like, no, but that's the thing. I like, I feel really good and confident when I can talk about how confused I am, how like frustrated I am, you know, when I can like sort of growl at the world a little bit, as opposed to sort of being so cool that like nothing affects me and all I am is like, how's the sex today? Like, <laughs> you know, like I, like that's just for not, for me, yeah. for me, like being sexy has very little to do now with sex and has a lot sure. to do with like how I'm expressing what it's like to be in my twenties in in what will be the twenties. What I'm trying to figure out how to translate, I've, and this is, it's not a, it's not rocket science why this is the case, but like I always feel sexiest actually when I'm bartending, I feel way mm. more sexier and, not to say I'm confident in my songwriting and everything. I think there's a certain sense of like, I go into a bartending job. It used to be, I used to be very like, I'll talk about my music and try to network, but that has not been the case for years. Now, if I'm bartending, I actually sort of learned the hard way how um, tacky that can look when you're trying to network yourself to people that, because mm. the reality being if you're bartending in Nashville or LA, people are going to come in that you are like, oh my God, that's so-and-so's agent. That's so-and-so's manager. Yeah. Or that, yeah. That's fucking so-and-so. Yeah. Like whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. Like, I love and so-and-so. They're so-and-so. so good. Yeah. Um, but now I've actually, I've found you actually make, if you are to make a connection from someone at a bar in that way, it's going to come way more easily if you're just a natural, normal person and let them ask you what you do and get that information if they want it or if they don't, because they might want to be just coming in and not talking about work either. But there's something like, and I also, I think I, I mean, I dress differently when I'm bartending than I am in like real life because I mean the objective is different, and um, <laughs> like, <laughs> and I will walk. I'll walk with those that you know two feet of wood in between me and the nearest person besides the other bartender with me. Whatever, I I feel like I am a fucking vixen. I'm back there. I'm shaking cocktails. I'm popping beers open, and I'm just pouring shots. And I have control of the liquor, which is what you want. And like, mm-hmm. I can if I see a cute guy, I can be like, here's a shot on me baby yeah. and just feel really like, <laughs> feel really hot but then sometimes take that energy i still have struggled to find getting that person that side of me into the writing room mm. is difficult because i'm so used to writing about my vulnerabilities and my um you know insecurities or whatever it is to find the song that's that person and then when i hear it, it doesn't make me cringe because i've been there's a lot of the sexy songs that i attempt usually do make me cringe it's i've been struggling to do that i, I attempted one in I mean, it's a good song. I did one in Sweden that was trying to be like a sexy song and it worked, but it still doesn't feel like my project yet, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I still haven't found that magic combination of sexy that is sad Alex. And I'll get there. I'm, I'm trying. I'm yeah, you gotta just, in. you gotta just work around it. Try yeah. stuff like in, in the ballpark of it. Yeah. I need to, maybe I just need to like zero in. set up like a, a bar at the session and just like, yeah. we'll just make it. Are you ready for the question? Oh, yeah. <gasps> yeah. Time for the question round. I think so. All right. First question. Are you ready? I'm ready. What is your phone background? My phone background? Yes. Oh, it's actually a picture that I drew. I'll show you. Where is it? I mean, this makes me feel a little bit narcissistic because it's one of me. It's one of, this is actually a trace one that I did of oh, that's cool. me. This was me at Pride. Can you describe it? Um, okay. So there was a picture of me at Pride with like, I had nipple stickers on. I wasn't walking around with my tits out, but I did have like a really short little rainbow crop top on and my shorts. And that was actually a really fun day. We went around and did Pride and did the whole thing and saw, you know, I think we saw Cupcake perform and whoever it was. And so some of my art is based from reference. And that's when I see something and I piece it together with different things and I, I draw up a little version of it. But some of them, especially for that, if I want that particular style, I'll take a photo, I'll put it into the um, platform that I use and then trace around it and mm. then add like, I mean, I made it sort of, uh, 
I put like, you know, stuff dripping out my eyes or whatever. Mm -hmm. I make it more artistic or fun and however I want to do it. And so I'll sometimes do it for friends and I'll draw up little versions of them too. So I don't know. That's really cool. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. And it's like a version of yourself that you can like, like an artistically drafted version of yourself that you can like be looking at. It's actually a pretty dysfunctional phone background. It kind of (laughs) makes shit really difficult to read. I might need Mm -hmm. to reconsider. Um, But, you know, just like. Is it a white background? Yeah, it just makes things look really busy. I feel like it's giving me a lot of anxiety. I might change it soon. And I guess at this point, it's pretty, it's the, at least one of them is pretty obvious, but do you have any non-musical hobbies other than, I guess, dancing or art? Well, so I've just gotten back into dancing recently. And firstly, I'll never be able to do, like get back into dancing as um, mm-hmm. in-depth as I did before. Right now, I'm just learning to take some hip-hop classes. It was very humbling when I first got back into it because I have a very different body that I'm working with now and very different capabilities. I'm extremely rusty, but... I, I am going to try to start getting into maybe some lyrical. I'm never going to do ballet again unless I just do like a ballet bar or something. But my, I am trying to get back into it in a recreational sense, especially to help strengthen some of the, whether video work or live mm-hmm. stuff, it, having dance background is helpful. For sure. I also do a lot of yoga. Yoga is like yoga for the longest time and has been up until I just started taking classes was pretty much the closest thing that I could get to dance. Mm. And it's still like my, if I need to, like my favorite workout is yoga, 100%. Um, I like bartending. I like making, and it's not so much like I have been getting into mixology. That's cool. I was born in high volume. It's more just like I am at the point now where I have a lot more fun inviting my friends to come visit me at a bar that I'm working at and I get to hook them up and feel, you know, like, I don't know, I'm doing something, helping people out with uh, having a fun night as opposed to going out and spending absurd amounts of money on liquor I don't even like. Yeah, for sure. And then obviously drawing, being an increasingly new hot like more involved hobby now because it's playing such a pertinent role in my branding as well um and yeah i think that's like it that's pretty cool though it's, it's yeah good, good hobbies to have cool hobbies and on that note what do you have any skills that you would like to have like is there anything that you would like to be able to do like you see people doing that like i wish i could do that um uh, I wish this is a really dumb one. I wish I was, I wish I could play guitar better or mm. even arguably piano better. I was classically trained at piano, but I'm, I'm taking lessons right now to get more jazz influence into that. And yeah. I am going to, I sold, I was really dumb. I sold the only guitar that I had, which my dad gave me in high school. I sold it for 50 bucks in Nashville in a dark time. Did I need 50 bucks that bad? Probably not. And now I don't have a guitar, so I'm gonna get one and, and try to learn again and just so I could implement it. I also wish I could build things better. Mm. Like people that are really good at like assembling things, like being able to put, I, I had to return floating shelves because I couldn't figure out how to put them on the wall. Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm, with, I'm with you there. Adult Legos, too much for me. I like, was I was like that. In, in, I mean, I've, I've always liked putting stuff together, but I did not know how to hang stuff on walls earlier this year. Oh and then God. I did a lot of Googling and I made a lot of mistakes. And I learned a, a lot of very important lessons about how not to hang things on walls, but I've successfully installed a projector in my room, which, wow. is, which is a very proud accomplishment. Well, that's what I'm going to have to get someone to help do I want to do the mounting a TV on my wall? And yeah. I'm just I'm learning that it's too in depth of a task. I'm just gonna have yeah, to suck it, it up, pay the hundred bucks, get someone to put it on yeah. the wall. But the floating shelves, I got them. I guess they were too heavy, and I didn't realize for the wall that we wanted, the wall in question, they've done like the stud finder on the wall, and it's apparently just a really problematic wall. Mm. And so that particular shelf, we can still put a shelf on it, but I think it has to be a much more light, like chill shelf, and not a heavy wooden yeah. wine rack shelf. What would you say your superpower is? 
I would like to say that I can see through the bullshit. Like I can, I do, I feel like I've been getting very, as I said, I've been getting like very highly sensitive to when I feel like people are just being surface level with me. And I, my goal is just to get to like, I've, I just really enjoy if I'm going to have a conversation with somebody, I would much rather talk about like the very real pit of their stomach shit than like the surface level shit that we find we're always having to do in yeah. networking events or whatever it is. Like, that's what I feel like I used to approach networking in this like guerrilla style way. Like I would go into a room and I'd be like, do I have enough business cards? I need to talk to everybody about my brand. And like, it was just a very aggressive thing. And now like when I go somewhere, I'm just like, I'm here to just chill and have a good time. And even if I, I would rather have one meaningful conversation with somebody yeah. about if they, you know, what hikes they like to Spaghetti. go on. Spaghetti. and, like, funny shit. And I learned get some to, like, interesting Raven facts last night at school night. Right? Like, it's such a more pleasant conversation, too, and you feel so much more tapped into your actual human nature than mm-hmm. when you're having some watered-down music industry conversation. And then, more than, often than not, a conversation like that yields way more, tra- like, it translates way more into working together in a real capacity than, like, trying to be like, I'm this person, find me on Instagram, and, like, maybe we can... Like, I don't yeah. like that conversation at all. So... My superpower is seeing the bullshit. I feel that. All right. And now the most important question in the question round. Would you be a pirate? Yes, I would. Um, Especially, I mean. You've passed. (laughs) Great. I think they they seem like a way more fun route in the 1600s than the alternative. I agree. And better (laughs) outfits. Definitely um, better outfits. Hotter guys, hotter girls. Um, More... You're, there's more at stake, you know? Definitely more at stake. Taking more risks, but for a greater reward, which is in a sense, we are pirates. We are, we are constantly trying to get that nut, you know, get that gold that we... <laughs> get that, get <laughs> that, get yeah, that nut. Yeah, get our nut. We're just trying to get our nut. We're trying to find that treasure chest and we have to jump and commandeer a, a ship of British people to get it. Um, and then, you know, Johnny Depp's there and we're like, damn, you look great. And then, like, it's this whole thing and we're dead inside. I mean, yeah, that, 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 is, that is pirates. <laughs> Yo-ho and a bottle of rum. Yeah, Yo-ho, like, that's ho, it. The pirate's life for me. Yeah. I just think I would get seasick. Oh, so you're not a pirate. No, I he, think he's not. I, I, yes, I think I'm, been I think the, my the argument at the heart this, of the whole this, podcast. This, 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 but we need someone on the ground. <laughs> I feel like we need... <laughs> it's not, I, we need, we need, we need think, a man I, on shore. I know? think it's I think it's more. I, th- I think we need, we need a dock boy. Yeah. No, my perspective is more that I think that people people tend to like people, and this is honestly Disney's fault. People tend to Disneyfy things in their head about history, and they're like, "This thing would have been super fun." But I'm like, if you are actually there, I like to, I try I try to time travel as honestly as I can to certain things to and be, be like, pirate. if you were actually there, that would be kind of crappy because of just like the quality of life that we're used to now, partially. And I think as a spirit question, I think it's always interesting because people are like, "Yeah, like I like I, I I would operate outside the law," but I'm also just like, if you were actually there, like in the Wild West, like having to deal, like it's, it would like be it would like be being an organized. Well, it wouldn't crime be in now. the Wild West. No, but it would be it'd like pirate, being pirate time. No, be no what, what I'm saying is it'd be like it'd the be Wild a gross West. boat though. For it sure. would be like being an organized crime now. Like you, you would be operating, you know, in this in this murky territory, and you you can't trust anyone, and you'd have to kill people, and you'd have to like use a lot of violence. And I'm like, I don't think I'd be into that personally. And, I, yeah, and that's I just an interesting that. character question. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not saying I'd be a very good pirate. <laughs> I would try though. I would be more into it for the outfits and like 
the uh, that's where I'm at. Yeah, I, see, I just yeah. I, honestly, swashbuckling. I want a sword fight. I like swashbuckling. <laughs> I feel like I feel like I relate to the Renaissance people, the people who are just like random people who are like going off, like looking at birds, like being scientists, but also like painting things and just being uh-huh. like, I'm just going to engage with like the greater truths of the world, or like a like Leonardo da Vinci. Like those people are super. We cool. need We're those people. Like, I like. I love. That. He wouldn't last a day in pirate times. <laughs> I probably wouldn't last a day in pirate times. But I, don't I know, know if that I would about last myself. a day in pirate no, times. I, I'd make. I'd make. I'd, I'd make him walk the plank for that. Sh- I don't no, want to no. walk the plank. I don't. That's. That's not for me. Can you swim? Not. Shark, not shark, my favorite. Shark bait. Hoo ha ha. Not my favorite. Oh my thing. god. It's ironic that the first album I ever made was a pirate concept album. It was about, wow. What? Yeah. It was. It was, what was it called? It was called. Uh, I think it was called Walk the Walk the Plank. Was that the name wow. of the record? I forget the name of the record. It was, yeah, it was, it was just, it was a concept record about a pirate, pirate and there concept. was betrayal and, and there were zombies and it was a whole, it was a whole thing. It's a hell of a concept. It was, it was a hell of a concept. Yeah. Um, anyway. Moving anyway. on. Moving on. Speaking of cool concepts, what was your first tattoo? My first tattoo was on my ribs. It's pretty tacky. It's like this dumb, like, I do music and I want a music Oh, thing. nice. Yeah. And I was in college. and what, I, what is it? It's it's like an eighth note connected to, to a, a treble clef. Uh. I got it at a tattoo shop in Baltimore where I went to college. I I don't know. It's pretty much probably my least favorite tattoo that I have. And it was fine. I and feel. here I am. Well, here you have it now. You do, you do do music. I do do music. So that that's a real it thing. It makes sense. Well, if, I guess follow-up question, what's your favorite tattoo? My alien, which is, argue- mm. it's so funny because he, like this one I probably put besides my knife and well, that's, okay. Well, these were all like flash tattoos, which have always been my favorite ones. The ones that you put the least amount of thought into. Mm. My more thought out tattoos, I actually have more regrets about those ones than like the ones that I just get. <laughs> so yeah. my alien, I like a lot. I just like the placement of it. I like how he, he looks and he's just, he's my little alien man. <laughs> I like him. That's great. And you're stupid if you think that aliens aren't, you know, well, duh. an important part of our existence. If we were the only life form in this universe, like you gotta be, you gotta, you gotta, be, be, you gotta be kidding me. Gotta be kidding me. Uh, what was your first concert? I can't remember if it was, it was either a coffee house. Cause at my high school, I think it was probably when I was a freshman in high school, we had this coffee house thing in high school where I said high school a lot in that sentence. We had this coffee house thing that after school at like 3.30. In high school? In high school. After high school was done um, in high school. <laughs> <laughs> at like 3.30, you could Near sign up. School? I was in high school. I passed. Um, and we would play. You could sign up and play a song or two. And that was when I was like, I think I played some original songs. I remember I got made fun of. My friend made fun of me because I was learning how to play guitar. And I put it on the wrong leg. I put it on my left leg. Fucking Doug Bennett, he made fun of me. Shout out Doug Bennett. He's actually still a friend, so he's great. But um, but I had my guitar on my left leg instead of my right leg, so I had the guitar like a mariachi band, and I was like playing it, and so nervous. Like I still actually deal with a lot of nerves when I play, but I've gotten much better about it. And I actually, I'm a little bit. That's one thing that'll be changing this year. This past year, live was not a very big part of my uh, my day to day and my professional shit. I was it locked in the studio all the mm-hmm. time. And did a lot of traveling and did a lot of writing and did a lot of work for other artists and finally figured out where my own art stuff was going to land. And now the shift this year, especially with everything falling into place, there is going to be much more of a transition to more live. I would really, my goal, like going on tour is a major goal, even short, it doesn't have to be massive, but it's like some sort of starting that touring element of my artist thing. Because I still do think that's the best way to gain 
real organic fans. Yeah. Even if it's a, I'd rather have 20 real organic fans than a hundred fake Instagram fans, you know? So that's a major thing for me. And I used to be like in Nashville, I was playing live like four times a week. I was doing rounds all the time. And that was one thing my dad actually was on the phone with him because I'm going home for the holidays. And he was like, would you be down to do like a, an acoustic show, like somewhere, maybe at a venue or whatever? Like, and it's, there was a time in my life in Nashville where if you asked me with one day's notice to play, play like an hour set by myself tomorrow, I'd be like, no problem. I got you. I'm ready to go. Granted, it was all a lot of hot trash songs, but like I was ready <laughs> to yeah. play them for you. And now I'm actually so rusty with my live aspect, especially if it's dominated for me being the only instrumentalist there. Theoretically, yes. I arguably could probably make a good amount of money playing a hometown show and it would be fun and be able to showcase some new music to these people that have been with me since I started doing hot trash music at 16. Yeah. Like that would be cool. But realistically, it would take a lot of preparation. And then I'd be home for the holidays, spending more time focusing on this hometown show than actually spending time with my family, which is like not what I want to do. But I said I was like, as a compromise, if they want to have a house party. I'll play a couple songs on the piano. Everybody wins. It's fine. Yeah. Kind of thing. That's nice. Your parents just want to see you play the piano. They just want to see you. Yeah, they just want to see you, hear you sing a little bit. That's yeah. all it is. Who was the first musical artist you saw live? Oh, yeah. I don't know if this is entirely accurate because it's really hard to know specifically, but I feel like it was Cat Power. Do you mm. remember Cat Power? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cat Power is great. In terms of, I think I'd seen other things. My parents were, were very good about bringing us to the symphony and like all these things. I would mm -hmm. see a lot of live music, but in terms of like, the first intentional show that I feel like I bought tickets with my friend. I think we must have been freshmen or sophomores in high school. And I was obsessed with Cat Power at the time. And like, it was great. That's awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. That's really cool. What's your go-to karaoke song? Killing Me Softly. Ooh, Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. That's a really good one. I love that one. Yeah, that's a great song. I did it. We had a really fun Red Bull camp for like all the songwriters in Santa Monica like a couple months ago. And at the end of it, we went like the last night we were like... They had a boat party for us, which was dope. And then we went out to like uh, the Gaslight, which is like this really divey karaoke bar in Santa Monica. And all of us sang karaoke songs. And that was, it was so fucking fun, dude. That was such a great night. It was awesome. We had fun. That's good. <laughs> that sounds awesome. It was great. Go to Gaslight. The Gaslight's a good time. We'll check it out. What's your favorite movie, book, and TV show? Oh my God, that's so much. I know it's so much. Okay. Um, Quick, first thing that comes to your head. Favorite movie is probably Shawshank Redemption. Nice. Mm, okay. Favorite book. I like, I've been reading a lot of books recently, a lot more than I have. I had a few years where I really didn't read very much and I've recently gotten really back in heavy to reading books and I've enjoyed a lot, but um, I don't know. I, I still don't have the answer to that question because I, I kind of struggle to find the specific lane of book yeah. that I really like. I like creepier, darker books, sort of mystery, whatever. I literally just texted a friend to like, I'm trying to collect as many book recognitions as I can and like consolidate. Um, and then TV show. Or also something you're just like really into at the really moment. Really fuck with Handmaid's Tale. Mm. That's a really good one. That's a good one. Um, I really, Spooky. I got into that late in the game. But yeah. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really original concept. And also I think the reason that that's cool. Also feel bad because I didn't realize it was based on a book until like I already started it. I'd like to read the book. Um, but it's a very realistic kind of, not very realistic, but it's a somewhat plausible near future for our society that could happen you which, is, which is terrifying i hope it doesn't yeah. but it could and it that's those sort of stories interest me a lot yeah i think for sure it's an interesting question do you have a favorite sound i think recently in terms of the soundscapes that i've been leaning towards i've been kind of going down that charlie puth route mm. of 
production and I really love this. My favorite element of production and what I'm good at, like I'm very, I'm still growing as a producer and like the track element of it. But in terms of vocal producing, that's where I can really do shit that I'm proud of. And I love stacked, clean, well thought out harmonies, Uh, well thought out vocal uh, parts. And if my song can be like, I love the tracks that are vocally based Mm -hmm. with like a really good vocal pad or vocal thing that you've, a vocal sound that you've created out of a sample. Those are always the hottest sounds for me. For sure. And that is kind of a lot of this new stuff is really based in that world of like simple production, good like vocal production, heavy vocal production. And because I think if you're if you ever at that point when you're producing the track and you're like, fuck, like what sort of sick fucking saw do we need here? I'm like, arguably that might be that might mean there's something wrong with the, you know, the song as a whole. Yeah. So, What's your favorite naturally occurring sound? Naturally occurring sound. I mean, I'm a, I'm a simple woman. I love, I was born on the piano and I think a beautiful, like my favorite piano, I'm biased, is the one in my house in Delaware. It's the Steinway Baby Grand 1930s piano. Just mm. gorgeous, like really, really weighted, like heavily weighted keys that mm. give you this tone that like, I don't know, it's like this soft, almost muffled piano yeah. sound. And there is something so beautiful on a, just a great song on piano. And that's where I was born. So I yeah. think I'll always gravitate towards that. That's how, that's how I feel about my piano. Yeah, downstairs. It's a yeah. nice one. I've got a Yamaha in Tennessee that I feel similarly about. Mm. That's the one I learned how to play. Oh. On. Yeah. No, I love the the piano we have in Delaware. It was my aunt was a pretty accomplished, I mean, she's still alive, but my aunt is a very accomplished pianist. She also, she gravitates more towards cello now because her fingers, she got um, pretty bad arthritis in her fingers and it became oh, too shit. difficult for her to play or too painful. And she had that because she studied it at Yale. And then she, once it was becoming too frustrating for her to play that piano, she gave it to my dad because we were all in, um, or maybe he bought it off her. I don't really know how that transaction went down. But we were all learning how to play piano. And I mean, you're giving three, like five-year-olds a fucking beautiful Steinway (laughs) baby grand. It actually was pretty difficult, especially as a kid. The keys are so weighted (laughs) that you're like, this is a pain in my ass. Like it was, your fingers would be sore. Like you had to get like the muscles going. That was the case with my my dad's guitar. had like an action of like an inch. Oh my God. I never really learned how to play guitar properly because it was too hard to play. So I would like make up tunings. Mm. So I I would only have to use like one or two fingers. So by the time it got to my my ring finger, (laughs) I couldn't push down. I remember remember being able to play bar chords was like such a goal of mine. I'm like, one of these days, my fingers are going to be strong enough that I'm going to be able to hold down this whole ass chord. Then you just play like an actual working guitar. and You you go to Guitar Center, you're like, whoa, it's so easy. Like it sounds so nice. Yeah, I am going to start diving back into my guitar playing. mm -hmm. Because I did that whole thing when you taught yourself and you think think you're like you're like oh my god i am a guitar god yeah and the first year of guitar teaching yourself you're like i am immortal and this is me now i am (laughs) the best guitar player on the planet and then you soon realize you're like oh i'm actually the worst guitar player on the planet and the only way i'm gonna get better is if i play like for fucking three hours six hours a day which is because i'm the kind of person who like needs like the first draft of anything like the first try of everything like whatever if it's not pure genius like i get (laughs) so discouraged that i never touch it again yep which is a problem, but yeah. I feel that. What was the best date you've ever been on? I, I feel like I'm forgetting every date I've ever been on right now. <laughs> there was one that I went on with my ex uh, man person, and we went to Perch in downtown. Like, there's this really beautiful rooftop uh, yeah, restaurant. Roof, I've, I've been there. Yeah, and, it's really cool. Um, yeah, he just. I, I actually, to be real with you, the thing that's hard, I I've only had, I've I've had that was the second 
official serious relationship with a label on it that I've had in my life. I've only had one in high school when I was uh, like senior in high school. Every other thing, like the things that I've become involved with, they were serious and they were real, but we never put a label on it. And so it's hard to count what dates were because we were still, we hadn't put a label on anything yet. So my, in a sense, my dating experience in that regard is quite rudimentary. And like with uh, my ex, we did go on dates, but they weren't like, I'm not saying we only dated for a couple months officially too. So it's not like we had a lot of chance for him to do the whole, like make a plane go by with my name in the hearts, like whatever. Like it was very normal shit. We would just go to like a movie or a restaurant. You should leave anybody who doesn't put your name in. (laughs) Like, 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 are you even dating? Yeah. What are you sticking (laughs) around for? You know? Like, so I don't think I've had a whole lot of those dates that are just like, wow, that was the most chivalrous like thing. I mean, they're great. Like I had, fun with him when we were just like on his couch watching a movie eating Thai food like those were great dates for me I don't know if it doesn't sound like much but that's where the real shit is or like yeah yeah. that's whatever that's kind of what everyone wants that's always what it comes down to is like can you just have like a nice Thai food Thai food yeah Uh, can you whistle Um, sometimes I feel like I'm inconsistent but like (laughs) like sometimes it's quite strong and sometimes it's (laughs) no it loses it goes away that was really hard to watch (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the fucking dis- <laughs> it, had, it had nice moments and then sad alex crumbled before my eyes that was really bad but i feel like sometimes okay i feel like maybe if i'm just the right amount of drunk and i'm not so nervous about it i can whistle a melody like i've, I've known i've done I, I, it i like flexing this part like, like I, okay, you can I'll, whistle really well yeah i take requests can, do um whistle uh fucking closer right now Very nice. I mean, it's like kind of a boring song to whistle. Yeah. <laughs> can you can you challenge me? That, I thought that was kind of challenging. Do, do, it's very do, punchy. Um, do, uh, somewhere over the rainbow. <laughs> oh, it's almost like my mouth isn't strong enough to do it. You're great. Can you give me some vibrato? Slide yeah, there we go. Vibes. That was really nice. Beautiful. Is this what you do on your dates? I've yeah, seen it. it works every time. <laughs> like, it really blows them away. In the middle of dinner. <laughs> really, 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 really blows them away. Wow. Literally. Yeah. Uh, I like that. Yeah. I love a good that. pun. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, do you have a scar with a story? A scar with a story? Well, yes, I feel like we heard the story. We kind of went there pretty hardcore on this podcast. Um, those are the scars from the, the knee surgery that went wrong. Um, and then I actually have a funny scar above a totally separate scar above my lip. There's like a little line and that was when my, sorry, I'm waiting for the mic, <laughs> little line here. And it's really faint right now, but my little brother, when he was, cause he's 10 years younger than us and he was three or two or three and I was 12 or 13. And, um, he was like, had this plastic boomerang in his hand and I was talking to someone over here. And he was like, hey, Alex, catch, throws the boomerang at me. It hits me in the face. And at first, like, I didn't realize what had happened. I was like, oh, that sucks that that boomerang. But it was like a really thin, like, basically a plastic knife is what he threw at my face. (laughs) And my dad, I remember I looked over and I just thought I was like, oh, I just got hit in the lip. And I looked over my dad was like, come inside with me. And like, (laughs) basically, it almost got entirely through my lip. And I had this, we, him and I went to the emergency room. Also, I was like, 
coming back from a spring break to middle school the next day. I'm already a huge stage five loser in middle school. I was not cute. I was not popular. I got used one night for a sleepover because like the popular girls asked me to have a sleepover at my house. And I thought I was like, I am being ushered in now. Wow. What a moment. Now's your time. But I lived in the same neighborhood as Cam Forbes, who was the hottest guy in middle school. And when we had the sleepover, Cam Forbes and like, they like came to my window. We tried to sneak out. The parents caught us, whatever. Going to school on Monday. I think that I am now a popular girl. And they all ignored me. And I was just like, what happened? Like, I thought, I thought this was it. And someone was like, oh no, you know, they only had that sleepover because you live in Cam's neighborhood. And I was oh like, my God. oh my God. That's, kids are cruel. Yeah, that's cruel. cruel. And so this is like the environment I'm walking into. I have to walk into, I think it was after a spring break. Dad and I had been in the emergency room for six hours. All for them to say, oh, we're, you're going to want a plastic surgeon to stitch this up, but we can give you a Band-Aid. So they literally put a Band-Aid on my lip in the emergency room. My dad was livid. He was like, I would have put a Band-Aid on her. And then I had to go. <laughs> <laughs> your, dad, your dad's like, listen, listen. And I had to go to a plastic surgeon to like, really, because I guess because it was cosme- cosmetically on your face, like they want to make sure those stitches are done really precisely. Oh, yeah. And But my, I walked in with a lip like this big with like a big old fucking piece of gauze on it. Oh, it was uh, a nightmare. And Edward, Edward, my little bro, he did it to me. How, he knows how it. dare he, Edward? Sibling. He's a good kid. He's a good kid. He so, didn't mean it. So, sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Love this question. What are three thoughts you have at this exact moment? Um, I'm kind of hungry. Okay. My manager's blowing me up and I'm hoping that everything's okay. And it's probably nothing. It's probably him being like, uh, can you upload this to Dropbox? And I'll be like, okay. And then see, I miss my roommate's dog. Uh, it's a split custody dog. And right now the dog's at her dad's and mm. I, I really miss the dog. But I also am deal. I don't know. This this dog is very special to me and I'm getting too getting too close. Mm. You're hard. tearing up right in front of her. I know. Yeah. I'm getting emotional. I miss Banks so much. Mm. <laughs> She's my bitch. Mm. That's hard. And uh, what are you most proud of? I think what I'm proud of, and I, I want to say this carefully because I don't want to ever diminish what everyone has a different story and there are a lot of people that have done very well because of the situation they were born into or like the opportunities that they were given off the jump and there's no watering that down because I think at the end of the day in order to maintain your to hold your ground you have to have at the root of it all a talent and a drive and whatever it obviously helps if you have money if you have if your dad is fucking so and so and like that all all of that plays into it but I do think at the end of the day that talent and hard work will kind of in terms of longevity, survive it. But that was one thing like I really, not to say like I come from a, you know, my family is comfortable and I've actually, that's one thing that I've learned a lot being, I wish I was more grateful for my upbringing in the moment. I was a pretty Mm -hmm. shitty 16 year old and Mm -hmm. gave my mom and dad a really hard time when in reality, we were, I was living a cushy life. I went to a really nice private school. I got to go to college with no student loan debt. My dad got us a cars like, he does well, but he also worked for every penny that he has. And he doesn't have like bail me out every time money. But I think it did. He has helped me in a couple of tight spots. But for the majority of it, and I really went into Nashville and went into this whole career not knowing anything and having to build it from the ground up and having to, for a long time, manage myself, figure out answers to questions that I didn't know what the question was. You know, like I was really just trying to figure this out and it was a very much a growing learning experience. I've made so many mistakes. I've done really dumb shit. I've made some terrible music. I've played some terrible shows. But at the end of the day, I can say that everything that I've 
accomplished now, which I, I sometimes in the moment you forget like how big of a deal some of these things are. And all of them, I didn't really have, obviously I'm very grateful for the circle that I have now. And there are so many people that have helped propel me and lift me and connect me with people. But at the end of the day, I had to do it all myself. And I think that usually results, I think, in the most gratifying experience in from my perspective. It's rewarding. Yeah. Yes. So I can, because I think I, everyone thought I was crazy when my college roommates, when I was moving to Nashville, they didn't think I was taking music seriously at all. And they had no reason to think I was. They didn't see me playing shows or putting yeah. out music. Like they were like, you're being dumb. Like you majored in physics. What are you doing? <laughs> so like I really had, and my parents didn't have any connections. My family wasn't a music like so in the music industry, I didn't have, I literally chose Nashville because I knew, I knew 10 people in Nashville. I knew five people in LA. Right. And so I said, I will go to Nashville. That's, that's, <laughs> some, base, that's some basic math right there. Yeah, that's just, that's just stats, you know, like yeah. I was like, I think I can do this. And I went in just guerrilla style, figured it out and did it. And that's, it's not an easy thing to do. I yeah. think we take, we take that for granted when you have that side of your personality. There's so many people that even just explaining that to them, there's like, you were able to move somewhere by yourself. Like yeah. when people are like, you drove to LA by yourself. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, oh my God, I, were you scared? I was like, no, like it was dope. I loved it. It was like, <laughs> that was my favorite part. I had so much growth mm-hmm. driving from Nashville to LA. It was a beautiful drive. Yeah, we, we did. We did that. It was very transparent. Oh. I mean, it was just it's beautiful. Yeah. You know, you, you, you start your journey and then you're there. You and you cross there. through, like you go through like the Midwest, you go through like desert you go through yeah. snow you Once, go through all I, I will never forget that first moment the landscape started to change it was oh like, it's amazing it's desert now and i'm like this is it's this is happening it's gorgeous and I, what i planned what i loved about that drive i didn't have any timeline that i was operating under i really was just i had finally been cleared with my leg that i wasn't in need of a surgery at any given moment and all i knew was that i wanted to change the scenery i didn't know if i'd be in la for a few weeks a few months whatever i had my friend i was like hey i'm gonna airbnb my apartment for now I don't know how long I'm going to go to LA, but I'm just going to go. And I drove and I could like, I had enough money saved up that I I knew my basic stops. But if at any point, like if I wanted to pull over for a scenic overlook, bitch, I'm pulling over. Like there was no, if I was like, if I'm tired, I'll pull over in this town and stay at this hotel. Like there's no, there was no like rules or rhyme or reason or deadline to get anywhere specific. I was just trying to enjoy my drive, listen to some good music. I listened to a lot of Brandy Carlisle. (laughs) I listened to like some great books on like online whatever podcasts and everything and I was like really just just going and thinking and figuring out I was in the first song I remember like one of the first songs that I wrote when I landed in LA was this song called Hung Up that was from my Alexa project but it was one of the gems from it and it was like it's almost like I got to LA after that drive and I was able to finally start answering the question of just like oh I know how to write the song that I want because for in, in Nashville it was always like my music never lined up with the stuff that I thought was cool or the stuff that I listened to. And then my music sat somewhere over here and it was this weird thing. And I was like, oh, I'm just never going to like my music. And that's just that's just my life. I'm just never going to like it. And then finally in LA, I was just like, oh no, I can like it. And this is how I do it. And I'm still trying to answer that question. I still make shit I hate all the time. Well, you but- cross the threshold of like what you listen to versus like what you're actually making. Eventually right. you get to that place. And it's obviously a journey, but like you get to that, yeah. that thing. Yeah. The final question is, what are you most excited for? I'm most excited and most nervous for, honestly, like it's a double-edged sword. This is going to be the first time ever with my artist stuff that I'm actually going to be able to execute like the visions on like video side and Mm -hmm. like the visual side. And like you have an idea, 
you can make it happen. And that comes with also like a bit of a, I'm not saying I have an unlimited money, like obviously within reason. And we still have to be, I'm not out here going to make $200,000 music videos, but like I have been living for so many years. It's been like, cool. We have this really cool song. We have $0. What do we do? (laughs) (laughs) And that has been such a difficult road for so long. And so now and you can tell yourself, like, oh, my God, if I only had money, we could do this. If we only had this, you know, outlet, we could do it. And now here are some of those opportunities at my fingertips. And now I get to put my my dick where my mouth is. Yeah. That's how they say it. That's how they say it. <laughs> no, 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 no. The expression is you put your spaghetti where your mouth is. Yeah. Put your spaghetti in your put mouth. Put your spaghetti in your mouth. And, like, it's like, okay, here you are. Here's your moment. And that's also what gives me actually a little bit of anxiety right now because now I, f- I feel... There's no more excuses. Right? Yeah. If, I don't, if I don't perform something, if something doesn't do what I wanted it to do, I am the only person I can blame for it. So that's why there's a major shift in my day-to-day right now. I'm going to be putting a lot more time into conceptualizing and getting... Finishing songs, A, like, yo, you got to finish songs. Yeah. And thinking about like how you want to, the PR and the marketing of all of it, think like the specific brand partnerships that you might want to utilize and like what kind of the, the photo shoots and what props and like all the shit. Like I'm going to really be thinking, spending more days and more time conceptualizing that, but more importantly, fucking executing it. And that's mm-hmm. been my issue for the last few years. Execution is so hard when you have zero dollars. Yeah. And the amount, that's why we've been really struggling with like trying to do like video things when you have zero dollars. And we've, I've spent hundreds, thousands, arguably, of my own money trying to do videos that have never seen the light of Instagram because <laughs> like, they just didn't turn out well from an audio perspective, from an editing perspective. Something happened that it just didn't fucking work. And I'm trying to swallow that. That pill has been bitter and large. And I've been trying to just understand that tonight it's actually refreshing to hear that you guys go through similar struggles of having to just bury things that you've been working on and it's it's so hard to deal with that sometimes. Well, and also when it comes to videos, like because like I come from film, I have always been really like, if we don't do this perfect, then I don't want to do it. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I think like that's been really hard because there have been, I think every song that we've had, I've had an idea for. Yeah. There have yeah. been good ideas for videos that we just haven't been, just able, been, haven't to been do. able to execute. And that's it. what I have now. Like I've, I've really I have started a note really being able to specifically outline what do I see pictures? What do I see videos? What do I see drawing? What would I see animation wise? Where would I yeah. want to try to, what platforms would I want to try to put this on? Do I want my face on a pink Red Bull can? Yes. Like all of those things. <laughs> yeah. Like trying to figure out, answer those, because the thing is the key to this year and the success of it is going to be how specific, as specific as I can be. That's what I need. I need to go, the goal needs to be this and it yeah. cannot be this. It needs to be this every time. And that's a very difficult thing to do. I'm not Especially saying. when you have a bunch of ideas. Like yes. for me, I have a very hard time focusing on stuff because I'm always, I'm like all ideas and no execution. Like I'm very much like I have an idea. I get really excited about it. I tell everybody about right. it. And then I got another idea and I forget about that old forget idea. About the other idea. I also just realized I, they can't see it. i when I said this, <laughs> oh, she, she, yeah, she meant she, 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 she made like a narrow path versus a wide path versus the wide. Yeah, it's the focused narrow path, the pie. Well, we're really excited for what's coming, and Thank you. I am we've too. been jamming to your stuff. Yay. Like it's, I don't know. I just think there's, you've got a really good heart for this, and I think that like Aww. there's a lot of good stuff coming because of it. So we're, we'll just yeah. keep uh, keep us posted on everything. Yeah. Thank and you, I'm blushing. Thank you for talking <laughs> to us. Oh, yeah. it was so fun. I love talk. This is great. This is so mm-hmm. fun.
We would like to thank Isotope for their early support of Talking Lion.